All right, welcome to Vicious Talk with Benny P, episode 46. Connor and I are going to be talking some NFL football, looking at, looking ahead to week nine for the NFL season. But first, before we get going, Connor, welcome, to, welcome back to Vicious Talk. Hey, Ben. Great to be back on, man. Always love talking with you. Good to see your beautiful face, buddy. <laughs> I did shave today. I know it's no shave November, yeah. but I was wearing a mask yesterday in a store and it was so freaking itchy. So I was just, I, I was oh, like, I you know what, not this year. Unfortunately, yeah, I, I hate that about masks. When I get like so the scruff going and the mask is itchy under, that's the worst. Yeah. So annoying. Makes like just going out super inconvenient. But yeah. Yeah, dude. Going on, going on in the country right now, just some crazy stuff. Before we get going, let me ask you this. What what uh what has your experience been so far following the presidential election? Joe Biden today on we're sat recording on Saturday morning. Uh, is being declared basically the winner of the election for most outlets right now. So how's your experience been following this stuff? Well, it's, it's been a wild ride. We kind of know what happened. Um, you know, the Republican voters mo- mostly voted in person. The Democratic voters mostly voted by mail. And a lot of the states, the way they were doing it is the mail count came after the in-person count. And so we had a huge swing of, of the Republican nominee, nominee Donald Trump, uh, our current president. He, uh, he had a ton of voter turnout initially, and the numbers were looking great. And he early on declared victory, um, which you <laughs> cannot do when this is America, this is a democracy and every single vote counts. Um, we want to make sure that our military veterans who vote by mail and our citizens who are being smart during a pandemic and voting by mail, uh, we want to make sure their votes count because uh, every this is a democracy and this is America. So the, the mail-in votes continue to get counted. They went uh, in Biden's favor uh, in a majority and some of the states started flipping and uh, now we're three, four days in. And finally, uh, we were able yeah. to lock down Pennsylvania and Arizona, uh, Georgia as well, uh, went Biden's way in the end. And we have what looks to be a new president. Now, Donald Trump is going to sue um, certain states and look for litigation in order for recounts. And, you know, it's his rights, his American rights. So uh, I'm fine with him doing that. But hopefully we... Um, we don't have a situation where the current president undermines the the polling process taking place in the counting of legitimate votes and everybody's vote does get counted in the end. Yeah. Yeah. I thought that was a good breakdown for just the purpose of historical perspective with this whole thing. It just feels like for us being so young, we're both 26 years old. Uh, you're 26, right? Yep. So we're, we're both still young Americans and this is only what our third election possibly that we voted in. Um, and really the only elections I could remember, I guess I, if you, if you press me on it, I I can remember parts of the Bush, um, Al Gore election. And even though we didn't vote in that, I remember just some of the media coverage and like the coverage on that. But going back to that 2000 election with Gore and Bush, they had a battle that the victor wasn't declared. So Bush wasn't declared victor until like December 1st or something like that. So they had a similar situation in that their, their results that year were delayed as well. Um, but for me, like for elections that we've personally voted on, I've never experienced going into like Wednesday and Thursday and still not knowing who the president's going to be like, that was completely new for me. And it seemed so weird. And the way that they've explained these trends that they've seen and why it's happened the way it has, then the way that you depicted it, where the mail-in ballots 
coming in after the polling polling results, uh, in-person polling results, explains some of why we've seen what this has been. I mean, you think about it, there's, there's an explanation for why things have played out that makes sense. Like there's a, there's a, there's a, 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 sens- a sensical argument that explains why the results of the election have played out this way, where Biden took a, a well, Trump took an early lead and then Biden came from behind with the mail-in ballots. And the, the reasoning behind it was, I mean, Trump was telling his supporters and his voters to vote in person because he did not trust the mailing process, the mail, the polling, uh, voting by mail process. And it makes sense that his votes were then counted first because he was telling his people, the large majority of them to vote in person. So that's what happened. And we had, I mean, he, if Biden didn't get the most, uh, votes ever by a, by a president in our, in any election for America, Trump would have been the, the most, I mean, Trump received the second most at, any American president candidate has ever received. So Biden's first and Trump's second. So this is, has been the biggest turnout of voting results that we've ever had in our country. And for that, I think it just shows you that Americans had had enough and they had taken a stance one side or the other, and it was time for everybody to have their voices heard. And so I, th- I thought that was a good outcome of the election where the, the sense that more there was more participation in our democracy process than ever before um but the the way that things played out it makes sense and the way that trump is accusing voter fraud and and the way that and he's accusing this election of being stolen from him like that doesn't make sense like what's the proof of like what's the evidence that he's had and he hasn't offered any of that he just he just says that places aren't allowing him to look at the polling results people places are polling places aren't allowing his his observers to view how they're calculating it. and like that's normal like that's no like that's how the process has worked in, throughout our history like he's trying to change the rules so that because they're working against him and it's really it's it's shameful that he's turned this story into one president refusing to concede while the other is trying to walk a tightrope and basically lead our nation into a, hopefully a more peaceful next four years and beyond. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, in the end, 70 million people in the U.S. still voted for Donald Trump. So a lot of his message still resonates with a large population yeah, of exactly. this country. And it's pretty wild that you would have the outcomes that he's had over the past four years and some of the debacles that he's gone through. And, and so it just clearly shows you that this is a country that's still very divided on a lot of issues. And, you know, we just hope that we can become more united under a president that's a lot less inflammatory and divisive, as you said, in his messaging. And I really think that, you know, Joe Biden will want to be a president for <clears throat> not just Democrats, but this entire country, given the way that the uh, the Senate and the House um, races have also looked to uh, the Republicans mm. did well in both of those areas. So it seems more that the Republican Party wanted to get rid of Donald Trump rather than the Republican Party losing steam overall. Um, it seems that a lot of people who may have been registered Republicans as well voted for Joe Biden because they're kind of just sick of this man being the figurehead of the Republican Party and they want to go back to more um, traditional conservative ideals. Right now, the current president is going totally against Republican values and questioning the Constitution and, and the fundamental values of an American democracy. So these are very um, un-Republican ideals. Um, what he's trying to institute right now 
in his, in his question. So um, I think that a lot of people on both sides are happy with the out- outcomes of this selection, uh, Republican and Democrat. Um, so hopefully there will be some unity coming forward in the fact that we we will have to observe more discussion between Republicans and Democrats if they want to move forward. If we want to have a stimulus package, things of that nature, then yeah. we're going to need to come together across the aisle. Lord knows I could use that stimulus package. <laughs> I wouldn't mind with holiday season coming up, you know, right? that would yeah. certainly stimulate the economy. If people had an extra $1,200 around gift giving season, I think a lot of that would go a long way to keeping some stores in business. And I really hope that the two sides of the aisle can come together and get, get Americans the help that we, we desperately need. Yeah. Hopefully we're on the same page with this and hopefully we could just move forward and, and create a better system. I mean, or create a better country that, that isn't so tense and, and right. confrontational against one another. So ideally that, that, that becomes the main takeaway from this whole process, but we'll see. We'll see. Yeah. But I mean, in the end, regardless of who you voted for, let's remember that in this country, we're all Americans and we're all neighbors. And so let's act like it. Yeah. Well said. Well, Connor, we're not political analysts. It's moving on. Let's let's talk a little bit about some NFL football, buddy, because this is what we're really we're really hitting our stride in. This is what we're really like feeling like experts in at the moment. Because last week we had we had another great handicap week. Um, Connor, you um, you ended up picking the Chargers as your best bet last week against the Denver Broncos. Right? And I was calling so that an early that, win, honestly. Yeah, yeah, you were looking good. I mean, they had the seventeen point lead. They were, they were, their offense was with Justin Herbert was looking like it was one of the best in the league. And Keenan Allen, sure Mike enough, Williams, these guys put up big, right? big totals, both with touchdowns. I mean, I was loving all of it. Oh, sure enough, though, Denver comes roaring back in that one, comes from behind, scores three touchdowns in the fourth quarter to take that one on the Drew, the Drew Lock last play. Did you watch that game at all? Um, honestly, I turned it off at halftime. I, I was calling it a wrap and getting on to some of my studies. So I tuned in and, yeah. and I saw the highlights of the second half and I just was flabbergasted. Look. Look, your analysis in this game was right. Like you, you were right in the sense that the Chargers were the better team in this one, and they they blew. This has been the Chargers all year. They they literally play their worst football when they're up by seventeen points. Mm-hmm. It's insane. Like they don't know how to hold the lead. So really early on in this one, Justin Herbert on the first drive of the game threw threw an interception on third down, and it led to a Broncos field goal when they after the interception. And so it looked like we were going to see the first time where Justin Herbert looks like an actual rookie, like instead of the, the fourth or fifth best quarterback in the league in his first season. So he's, he's literally averaging a fourth most passing yards per game right now. And in, in the league behind Prescott, Matt Ryan and Russell Wilson and Prescott. I mean, we all know with the out with the ankle injury. So the third, third amongst active quarterbacks at the moment. And he's, he's looked incredible this year. He looked, and, and then early on, it looked like the Broncos might be giving him run for his money, but sure enough, we like we said, the offense hit stride early in this, in the second half after that. And, and they really took an early lead heading into the, into the second half in this game. I thought your analysis here, at least early on looked good. I thought the chargers looked good in this one. Um, one thing I want to talk about in regards to this game, um, we have another chargers loss in a game where it looked like they should have won. Do you think Anthony Lynn's job is in danger here? Oh yeah. Oh yes. But you know, the thing is, I don't think Anthony Lynn's going to be fired this season. If I had, if I had to guess my money would be on Anthony Lynn makes it through the end of this year. And then if, if he doesn't, 
if the Chargers don't perform to expectations by the end of the season, I, I think they move on from him. So what's your analysis um, on why they would leave him in, uh, in the head of this, uh, head of this organization right now? Well, the fact of the matter is that they have a young quarterback and they have a, a team that suffered a number of injuries to some key positions. And especially on the defensive side of the football, like they're pretty banged up and they're not playing well on that side of the football. And so they're really looking at their player personnel and, and, and seeing that oh, while they have some talent and they have some above average skill position players, um, they don't have the complete roster that's going to fuel any sort of playoff run or deep playoff run, I, I think. And, and so it's like these late collapses that they're having is a reflection of, yeah, they're, they're not being coached very well, which is why Anthony Lynn could be fired. I mean, my, my guess is in the off season, but he could be fired any week if he blows another lead, you know, like that's, it's, it's not a good look when your team's lost. I think that's their third 17 point lead they've lost this season maybe like their fourth or fifth loss, uh, fourth quarter lead that they've blown. So I, uh, it's, it hasn't been an ideal season for the Chargers by any means, but my guess is that they're all right with taking some losses this year because the fact that they found their franchise quarterback for years to come in Justin Herbert is they've already won this season. Like they've already, they are, they picked the best quarterback or the second best quarterback in last year's draft. And he's going to be their guy going forward. Like they could win a super bowl with Justin Herbert. And at this point, it's just filling in the roster around him. And I think it's going to take a draft or two for them to really complete the roster around them to kind of form the identity of, of, of the football team that they, they envision here in LA. Yeah. The idea being kind of tank a little bit this year, get a couple draft picks going into next year, yeah. get, get your guys back and healthy. And then you also have what looks like to be a franchise quarterback on a rookie contract, which is big because it gives you a lot of cap space to negotiate and get some more talent around him. You know, we saw that same thing with the chiefs where they're able to have this loaded roster, the Seahawks for years when they had Russell Wilson on a rookie contract, teams can really take advantage of that time period. So maybe it's not the year for the chargers, but they're looking up. And I think once they have an organizational change from the top down and get Anthony Lynn out of there, and they get healthy next year, I think they can compete for this division. Yeah. I mean, we'll look at their, what they've done so far this year. I mean, they're two and five and really they should be maybe five and two or four and three. I mean, when that happens, when your team should be a, one of the average to above average teams, I mean, in my power rankings, I believe I have them at 14 this week where we'll go over our power rankings uh, for the rest of the season and the fell year. But we, I rank them right around 13 or 14 and, and most power rankings have them in that range as well. When you are supposed to be an above average football team, you can't be winning. You can't be losing close games. And that's all they've done this year. They're two and five and they should be, like I said, five and two or four and three. I mean, they lost to the, the bank. I mean, they lost to the chiefs 20 to 23 and that overtime game when they were, they had the lead in the fourth quarter on that one, they lost to the Panthers 21 to 16. That's another five point loss. They lost to, to the Buccaneers by seven points. They were in that one to the end. They lost to the saints by three points. I mean, these games are losing are are close matchups. And then not to mention like we, the one we were just talking about against the Broncos with the loss in the last play to an average drew lock and, and Denver Bronco offense. I mean, they play to the level of their opponents and it's been that way for years now. They play to the level of their opponents. And so that is the major issue with this team's identity because that can't be something that a winning team does. Like when 
an, a below average NFL team comes into your hometown to play on your home field, or you're, even if you're going on the road to play at a below average team, like you need to take care of business in those games. And the chargers haven't been, I mean, they, they had a, they gave up 29 points, to a, a below average Jacksonville Jaguars team. I mean, the, they are all over the map with this. And the reason why I'm saying is why this year isn't the year that they're going to make a deep playoff run is because the fact that they play to the level of their opponents. And so they are capable like of having good games, like against the chiefs. They had that one. They almost pulled out the win against the possibly the best team in the NFL in the Kansas city chiefs. And then they come out and they have a stinker against, I mean, the, the Panthers and they scored 16 points against an average Carolina Panther defense. I mean, they don't have a consistent performance week in and week out. The only consistency is this team's inconsistency and their inability to hold leads late in, in football games. They don't finish games. And that's a reflection of coaching, conditioning, and scheme. I mean, and, and, and honestly, willpower. This team's willpower and motivation. I question it. And so that's, that's why, although I believe in the talent on this roster, I don't believe in their 2020 outlook. All right, buddy. So you you lost your bet on the Chargers last week. I thought it was a good one, I, and I was watching that one nail biting, biting my nails to the end. I ended up winning my best bet of the week, and that Vegas Cleveland game kind of went the way I, I exactly envisioned it. The only wrench in it was the wind. So really, from offensive sense, like don't if you have any of those players in fantasy football, don't take away too much. Don't put too much weight in the performances of any Browns or Raiders players last week. Um, the wind was over 20 miles an hour. I believe it was like, oh, the, did you see the kick, the missed kick from um, Carlson for the Raiders in the first quarter? I think went from literally the right side of the, the goalpost to the left. Like it, it missed left. And it was like a curveball. It was like a slider in baseball or something like it was the wind in that one was insane. So I wouldn't take away too much from that sense, but I did think the game flow of this one went exactly as planned. The Raiders controlled the ball very well. I think they had like 32 minutes of time, uh, uh, time of possession. That's the Raiders formula for winning success uh, winning football games, running the ball. Well, holding the ball for over half of the minutes um, in the football game, keeping their defense on the sideline as much as possible. That That's the formula that the Raiders have for success and, and really ended up going the way I thought that one was going to go. Um, the Raiders ended up winning that one, I believe, like 16 and to nine or something like that. Yeah, the Raiders are very predictable. Um, the Raiders and Josh Jacobs, and they they go the way of the matchup. They they play well against bad teams, and then they play okay against good teams. They're somewhat competitive, but they generally get beaten. Um, so this game, as expected, they were playing the Browns, and the Browns are one of those teams where they had a good record, but we thought they were kind of a bad team, especially with Odell out. And so it's not shocking that they were the Raiders were able to ground and pound with Jacobs and run for a good clip against the the Browns, who we thought were um, giving being given too much credit for their record um, based on how, what we think of Baker Mayfield and the rest of this team. Yeah. And the reason, uh, one of the reasons why I wanted to bring up these two games was there's an interesting matchup for week nine between the Raiders and the chargers. And so we just talked about the chargers and we just talked a bit, little bit about the Raiders. Who are you taking in that game? It's a pick em between the, the Raiders and the chargers. I think this is one of the closest matchups, biggest coin flips of the week. And I'm having a, a hard time handicapping this one who I don't, I don't know if I had to pick. Who would I, who would I take? And I, and I do have to pick eventually before Sunday's start game start. So 
What are you thinking with this one? What, let me pick your brain. What's your analysis with this Vegas LA Chargers matchup? Well, there are a couple of ways I can see this game going. And it depends on the early performance of the Raiders running game and the early performance of the Chargers defense. If Josh Jacobs is able to be effective early on and the Raiders can get out to a lead, well, I think the Chargers are going to be able to push the score a little bit and they're able to come back oftentimes in, in a game like this and keep it close. But I think in the end, the Raiders would win in that situation. The other way I can see it is Herbert just coming onto the field and lighting up this horrible Raiders defense and throwing all over the field to Keenan Allen into Mike Williams and putting up a ton of points. But then I still am not comfortable with taking the Chargers in that situation because we've seen their inability to finish. And we've seen also Carr has the ability to move the ball when he has Waller and Ruggs healthy and on the field. Um, So I would lean the Chargers again because I think their offense is more talented. Um, But I'm not going to make this my game of the week. I think I've learned on this one not to go with an Anthony Lynn coach team to to lock it in as my best bet. Yeah, this is a really tough one. I I honestly feel like these two teams are almost the same in the sense that, I mean, I think honestly, Tennessee and Seattle are actually very similar football teams where they have zero defense and excellent offense. I think that these two teams, the Raiders and the Chargers kind of run on a good, a good offense and a defense that makes plays when they have had to, but they're below average on that end of the field. So I really, I have these teams ranked 13 and 14 in my power rankings. I know we'll talk about this, but I, I, I'm, I'm leaning Vegas in this one. And I know you just said that you're, uh, you're, you're kind of thinking the chargers, but I'm honestly, I'm leaning Vegas. And the reason why is Vegas is a, a disciplined team this year and they've had some injuries, especially on the offensive line with the COVID scares they had with, and Trent Brown, um, getting COVID and they they've been able to overcome a lot of those obstacles this year. And then really for the longest time, this has been the first season that I've been, I've noticed for the longest time that the Raiders are actually disciplined and they're organized and they have an identity. Like they actually do things that a real winning football team is supposed to do. Like they have a good third down completion percentage. Like they have a good, uh, third down conversion rate. Like they, they, they're good in the red zone. They run the ball. Well, they're, they have a solid offensive line that Derek cars hasn't been turning the ball over that much. Like they do a lot of things, right. And you know, the Raiders for the longest time were like the most or one of the most, uh, penalized teams in the NFL. And finally this season, they're now the, they're 25th most penalized team. So they're, they're in the bottom half of these penalties. And I think that's honestly a big deal. Like the Raiders for, for the last decade or so have been identified with just some embarrassing occurrences. Like it's just constantly shooting themselves in the foot in so many different instances. And I think this is one of the first seasons I've seen John Gruden finally has implemented a culture and a scheme in Vegas that he could be proud of. Like this is finally John Gruden's organization, his team. It feels like a Gruden team, like the teams that he had with Tampa Bay and, and some of the other successes that he's had in his career. Like this feels like, a well-coached team. And that's what I really like about Las Vegas this year. And so that's where I think they have the edge over the chargers where the chargers don't really have an identity. Like they play to the level, like I said, we said um, to their opponents, they play to the level of their opponents too often. And that is uh, often a, a negative reflection on coaching and player motivation and, and skill. So 
I, I lean Raiders in this one, but honestly, just such a coin flip of a game. Looking forward to watching. And it. it's really funny because the Chargers are two and five, and the Raiders are four and three. So to have this line be be even and it's a coin flip is kind of wild. But that shows you how much um, underperforming the Chargers have done this year compared to yeah. the amount of talent on their roster, and that gives you an idea that Vegas is still saying like, "Hey, this is a pretty good team, and they should have more wins than they currently do." And that's exactly what we're talking about, and that's why I'm pulling my my hair out week after week trying to bet on the Chargers. Uh, don't do it. <laughs> uh, no, this is a good game. I, I'm looking forward to it. And so, Connor, let's... Um, I, I want to talk about some of our best bets later on the podcast, but before we get into that, we have on All Things Analysis our new Week 9 NFL Power Rankings coming out. We're going to be releasing our Power Rankings as well as some of our Player Rankings, rest of season uh, Player Rankings. And so looking forward to sharing uh, some of our thoughts on that. And did you have, have you gotten a chance to look at uh, some of our differences in our, in our Power Rankings? Yeah, it's pretty interesting in terms of the divisiveness around some of the teams. So within the top 10, the um the Rams and the Titans are two teams that have a pretty big standard deviation between our three rankers being you, me, and Garrett. Um, so maybe we can talk about those two teams a little bit and and why we have so much of a variation there. I think I might be the lowest on the Rams out of all three. Or Garrett's the lowest Gar- on the Rams. Garrett has him at lowest. fifteen, dude. Yep. Garrett has him at fifteen. That's too low for me. It's too low. Um, and I think that the argument and the hypothesis there for them being low is just what have you seen from Goff? There's been no consistency. He yes. hasn't really pulled through in a big game. And this is what we saw in the Super Bowl. You know, when the offense has to rely on him in the passing game, they don't do very well. Um, I think last yeah. game he threw over 60 passes and it didn't matter. All the stats were in their favor. And in the end, they still lost the game. So this Whoa. team needs to cut down on the turnovers and they need to get the ball into their playmakers' hands. And if they can do that then they're they're going to be successful because we know how good this defense is um but until golf can get some of those things under control and they also figure out who in the running game is going to be their bell cow then i don't think that this team is going to crack my top 10 i look i'm higher on the rams i have my eight in our power rankings and let me give you my reasoning for this and my number one reason why i have the rams at eight and I, I hear your golf. I hear your golf take, and I, I'm with you there. I don't love your chair golf, but the reason why I still have the Rams that high is purely because of how great they are in the trenches on both offense and defense. And this, in my opinion, the trenches, the offensive and defensive lines aren't taken into consideration enough in some of these evaluations for team success. The Rams, let me tell you, the Rams have the best offensive line in the NFL this season. According to Football Outsiders, the, the offensive line for the LA Rams is first in pass protection and second in run protection. They, the offensive line centered around Andrews, the veteran um, for the LA Rams, has been elite, elite this year. And on the defensive side of the football, they're potentially the best in the league as well. On defense, they're first in expected points contributed by defense this year. Their, they, their defense is, uh, has produced 28.01 expected points, according to football reference. That is, I could tell you what the second place team, because there's a big difference in this. Um, they're first at 28.01. Second is Tampa Bay at 19.75. And then third is 
Baltimore at 6.99 expected points. So like the defense for the Rams is making plays and, and contributing to the team's success. Like they're able to put points on the board. And that makes a difference when you have a QB like Jared Goff, where you have, you have to compensate for having a subpar quarterback by having an excellent special teams and an excellent defense. And the Rams have both of those. And I know the special teams didn't come out to play against Miami last week. And we could talk about that, but I think the Rams, Besides the quarterback play are elite in every other aspect of the, of football and what, what, what fuels success in football. And I think that's what is making them. I think honestly, the Rams can compete well against any team in the NFL. Like they will not get blown off of the field by anyone. Like if they face the chiefs who are in my opinion, are the best team in the NFL, I, I would be willing to bet the Rams make it within a, a one t- a one score game. Like they, they, they lose by one score. So eight or less. Um, I don't know. I, I think it's important to consider here, Ben. And then let me read through the teams they've beaten so far, because you're saying they could compete with any team, but they really haven't played many teams. Um, week one, they played Dallas week two, Philadelphia week three, Buffalo, who who obviously looks a lot worse now than well, they the start that, they, they had. They had that Buffalo game. That was a that was a free game. They had a couple turnovers. Like they had that one. And then they played uh, the Giants, Washington, a banged up San Francisco, Chicago, and now Miami. So it's not like they're playing the cream of the crop in, in the league at this point right now. So uh, I think the big test for the Rams will be when when they play the Seahawks and uh, Tampa Bay in, in the, the next two upcoming weeks. Surely. And my, and my, my guess is that they play well in those games against that's what I'm saying. I think that they can play well against do you think the Seahawks. They take one and, of them? I think there's a chance they do. I mean, I, I have the Seahawks ranked higher than them. And what was the other team you said that they, they have on Bay. their schedule coming up Tampa Bay. That's a good game too. I mean, I think they very well may take one of those games um, depending on just on the weather scheduling situations, kind of what teams are, are coming off of the previous weeks, all that matters. But I think that the Rams without looking at it do have a chance uh, to win this division, the NFC West. It's one of the best divisions in the league. Um, And I I just really, really love what they do in the trenches. And I think that you're going to have some variations from the quarterback, Jared Goff. He's inaccurate at times, makes some poor decisions. Can't necessarily make too many reads. If, if you pressure him and you don't give him time to make reads in the pocket, he does often make bad decisions, but having a good offensive line and a great defensive line like that keeps your team consistently in football games. And that's what makes me think that the Rams have the ability to really not get embarrassed is my point. Like they they can, they can belong on any, on the, on the field against any team in this league. Yeah. The key is uh, like you said, going to be, if they can run the ball successfully and and limit the turnovers, then they're not going to have their defense on the field constantly and, and putting them in bad situations in in terms of field position, because we know with Aaron Donald and Jalen Ramsey, they can be competitive in any game. Yeah. Their, their defense is also third um, in the league on third down conversion rate against like their teams convert the third least amount of third downs against the Rams defense. So they do do have done They have done a great job um, at basically getting their defense off the field and letting their offense cook and, and their offense does best when they um, are able to create a rhythm and a, and a vibe where you saw in the, at the end of the Miami game where they scored the touchdown to Robert Woods, um, at the, in the fourth quarter where they really hit their stride. They start to hit their stride when they are able to create chunk plays off of, uh, inside handoffs, jet sweep motions, screen passes, like 
with 10, 10, like five to 10 to 15 yard plays. And then they make, they get the big play on, on a play action where Goff gets space um, off a of play action because they're expecting a run, run play or a, or a screen play. And then the receiver creates space and Goff gets an open receiver that way. And, and it's a great system that they have. And, and McVay understands the limitations of his quarterback in Goff. He's got to create good opportunities for Jared Goff to throw the football on play actions and rollouts and naked bootlegs. Like that matters for Jared Goff. Yeah. And I think the other team we were talking about the Titans, their offense wants to operate in a very similar fashion with Ryan Tannehill. Um, he, he's great in, in play action in a, in a bootleg. And so they want to get their running game going with Derrick Henry. They want to pass it deep with AJ Brown and get those chunk plays and they can keep up with a lot of teams. So I think the, the question mark for the Titans is can their defense well, that's keep a good, them into yeah, games? That's a completely different animal because Tennessee's defense is terrible. Right. Like they're going to give up, they, they could give up 40 points in a game. Like, they can get, they can just get straight up blown out of uh, like they literally they, their defense lost that Cincinnati game because the offense just couldn't stay on the field long enough to score enough points to keep up. Like the defense, the defense just blew, blew them off the field. Like they couldn't, they couldn't hold any, and they couldn't hold back anything that Cincinnati was trying to do on Sunday. And I don't know, the defense for Tennessee has me super worried. And so that's why I initially actually had Tennessee in my top 10. I ended up dropping them down further you have um, number just 12 kind of, as do i yeah so i initially wanted to put them in my top 10 because i do like their offense and what they do with derrick henry and they do have a great offensive line i think they have the maybe the second or third best offensive line behind like the rams and maybe the buccaneers or um but i just i i think that defense in tennessee is much worse and i think the my the difference with the la rams is the fact that their defense can win them a football game like their defense has won them football games this year so um the fact that Jared Goff is not is probably an a average quarterback at best at this point in his career, like that gets me worried where that, that puts a ceiling on the Rams potential on offense. But I just feel like the Rams are just one of the most complete teams in the NFL. They also run the ball at the highest percentage, the highest rate in this, in the league this year. Um, they've attempted the most running plays on offense this season at any team in the NFL. I just think that, uh, they have a formula that makes sense for winning football games. And it's, it's proven that this formula works to win. Like I know we're in a different era where points are super important. Like you gotta be able to have big pass plays and chunk yardage, but like football used to be the play this way. And it's funny how McVay for the longest time was thought of to be this new inventive co- coach zigging while all the other coaches are zagging. Like everybody wants to, a coach in the Sean McVay tree who was under the Shanahan tree and, and like coaches were tr- like Cliff Kingsbury for Arizona and um, Zach Taylor and Cincinnati. Like they were, these guys were, were underqualified coaches, but the fact that they were just in contact with Sean McVay got them their jobs. And McVay had all these innovative strategies and all of a sudden now he has a team that runs the ball the most, they play great in the trenches. Like they play great defense. Like it's funny that he's now gone back to where the league was before when he started to like do all these new passing sweep motions. And I mean, they still do that, but I mean, the identity of this team is kind of grounded pound, control the football, play smart, play great special teams. Like those are old school strategies that have been working for this Rams teams. And I think that, it's going to keep them in the, in the mix at the very least this year. I think they're, they have a good team. And I, I think they're uh, just a solid football team that belongs in the top 10. 
Yeah, I think uh, the common theme for a lot of these teams that are in our top 10, a lot of them have very good running games. Uh, when you look at the Chiefs with Hilaire and what they can do with Lev Bell now, the Steelers are running the ball really great with James Conner. Uh, the Bucks have the combo of Rojo and Fournette. And then you have the Packers with Aaron Jones and Jamal Williams. I think what we're seeing is a, a lot of the best teams, they have a very strong offensive line. They give their quarterbacks time to throw the ball and they're able to control the clock with a good running game. So while these mm -hmm. flash plays are very important, really the cream of the crop still operate in this type of fashion and in this type of gameplay. Yeah. I, one of the interesting things with these elite teams is the Pittsburgh Steelers and like you said, they have been running the ball with well with James Conner. But did you see the time of possession in last week's game against Baltimore? Like Baltimore ran the ball really well against Pittsburgh. They, that was the best that any team has run against Pittsburgh this season um, by far. I think they had like 200 and something, 265 yards in total on the ground, while no other team had scored uh, 104 yards against Pittsburgh week two against Denver. Um Baltimore held the ball for 35 minutes and 22 seconds in that one, while Pittsburgh held the ball for 24, 38. So that formula where the ground and pound time and possession game, like that didn't work for Pittsburgh in this one, but the fact that they were still able to win this ball game, the fact that they were able to beat a team that a lot of people had them favored behind um, underdogs to the Baltimore Ravens going to this matchup, like that opened my eyes to the fact that the Steelers are the only other team that, besides the Kansas city chiefs that could win football games with different schemes week to week. And the Patriots used to do this better than anybody else where week to week, the Patriots could scheme up a brand new offense or a brand new defensive strategy that will beat that specific team that week. Like one week, like the Kansas city chiefs, for example, uh, remember they ran two weeks, the week before Le'Veon Bell came, Clyde Edwards Hilaire against Buffalo ran for like 150 yards on like 20 something carries. Yeah. yeah. Like the Chiefs can do that, but then they could also go into the, the game against the Jets and they have Mahomes do like five touchdowns, a couple long pass plays to Tyreek Hill, uh, a red zone touchdown to Travis Kelsey. Like they could throw the ball whenever they want as well. Like the Steelers are kind of it they're kind of like Kansas city light in that sense. And I like, I like Pittsburgh's defense more than Kansas city. So that's where the, the ground gets kind of leveled for me in this. And I really see it as Kansas city one a and Pittsburgh one B at this point. And I think both these two teams are the best in the NFL. Yeah, we've, we've seen a real improvement in Kansas City's defense this year, though, and they have looked very strong. It yes, does hurt yes. that Chris Jones, I think, just got put on the COVID list. He's he's their monster D lineman who, who's been awesome for them this year. Um, so that's going to hurt them for a couple of games, but I'm not worried about the Chiefs. They're still our number one team, you know, the week in and week out if you have the reigning NFL MVP and Patrick Mahomes. and Or, or not, yeah. he's not the reigning. Was it two years ago? Uh, Lamar Jackson's the reigning NFL MVP, but reigning Super Bowl MVP, I should say. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so the Chiefs are seventh in, in expected points um, for their defense, and Seals are fourth in expected points contributed by their defense. Yeah, not a big variance um, there. Coming off of coming off of pro football reference. I mean, they both these two teams have I think that Pittsburgh have Pittsburgh Steelers have an elite defense, and I think Kansas City has a good defense. Um, and the difference being with Kansas City is their offense is just on another level. They could really just beat you in any way they feel like that day. Like I said, they could really beat you with the run, they could beat you with the pass, they could beat you with special teams, they could beat you on defense when they need to. Like Kansas City can beat can win football games in so many different ways. And that is very unique in today's, in today's game. 
Right. And maybe the, the chink in the armor for the Steelers is that we were, we were able to see the Ravens run the ball extremely effectively. And we, we know how good Minka good Fitzpatrick is and, and that defense has been performing in the past game, but, but maybe there is some exposure there in the run game. And if Lamar Jackson doesn't turn the ball over and is able to make a couple more passes, this easily could have been a game that the Ravens won. Now we had confidence in the Steelers and this is why you and I both picked them last week in, in our pick and pool and on the air when we gave you guys the the week uh, seven preview is because we know that Lamar Jackson has been very off in the passing game. And so we expected a couple turnovers and we thought the Pittsburgh Steelers D would create that. But external of a couple of plays, the Ravens really could have won this game. Yeah, the story of that one, the Steelers uh, Ravens game was really just the physicality. And it always is in those Steelers Ravens matchups. It always is the physicality. Um, Lamar Jackson got... He got hit hard a lot in that one. He had to have been hurting throughout this week um, just from a physical soreness sense. But the story was the physicality. And and when the defensive lines really decided to show up in this one, Pittsburgh's defensive line in in the second half was allowing Lamar to do anything he wanted to. They were not pressuring him. They were not attacking the run like they were not pass rushing. They allowed Lamar to to run. They they allowed them to throw like they, they came back in this one and they were almost uh, threatening to win, but then late it late in the game, the Steelers defensive line decided to show come back and show up and they made plays on Lamar late in the fourth quarter. And then in overtime, they got, I think a fumble or a fourth down tackle Pittsburgh won the turnover battle four to one in this one. Their defense is just so talented. Like they can make a big play at any moment. And especially on money downs, the Steelers defenses has been money on money downs. Yeah. The Steelers defense late in this one really made some great plays. And um, the point is just the, the fact that Baltimore was able to run against Pittsburgh in this one a little bit has me a little worried, but the fact that they were, they were not able to throw the ball very well makes me think that they were probably scheming the game to go this way. Um, and Tomlin kind of had an idea of how this was going to go to, and bake and he wanted to make Lamar throw the ball and he, he did. And Lamar was an accurate on that day. He was 13 for 28, had to make plays with his legs and still almost did. I mean, Ravens run a lot on the 20 yard line with the last play of the game. And Lamar had a chance to throw it into the end zone. I mean, they were still able to almost pull out the win in, in this game. And so really just two really solid teams. This was, and Pittsburgh was just showing you the way that they could, the different ways that they could win. And um, this was a, a test for Pittsburgh. And I thought they really passed with flying colors. Yeah. Both top five teams for us. So we had the chiefs at number one, overall Steelers at number two and the Ravens at, at four and coming in, at three for us, actually two for me is the Tampa Bay Bucks. Now I like the mm-hmm. Bucks more than the Steelers because I think yeah, that this defense. Where I was going to this one. I think that defense um, on the running side is actually the best in the league and, and better than the mm-hmm. Steelers. So these other top teams, when they want to run the ball against the Bucks, they're not going to be able to. So they're not going to be able to hold early leads. I don't think as well. And when you just think about the amount of talent on the offensive side around Tom Brady uh, with Antonio Brown now on the roster, hopefully a, a healthy Chris Godwin. And then Mike Evans kind of seems like he, he might be the third fiddle. We, we haven't seen a game of Antonio Brown, but I actually like him this week um, on DraftKings uh, to foreshadow a little bit. Um, so yeah, get, get, actually the Bucks are my number two team and they've actually been a Super Bowl favorite for me since the preseason. So I like them. Why do you have the Bucks just behind the Steelers, Ben? My thought was the Steelers are just a more polished team at this point. I think that the Steelers... Um, it's a great on, point. On off, They're more, they have on more offense, continuity. Yeah, on offense, they've had the 
the more continuity, um, like Tomlin is already familiar with big Ben, like big Ben is really has really good chemistry with Deontay Johnson and Juju Smith Schuster. He's developed it with chase Claypool. Like they have the big playability and not to say that Tampa Bay doesn't by any means, just saying that like the fact that the Steelers are able to do that has made the, um, has taken the burden off of what they do so well is, which is play defense and manage, manage football game. And, and you're just a really well-organized team. Tampa Bay is also one of the most penalized teams in the NFL this year. Um, they've improved, I would say from week one to week nine, maybe more than any team in the NFL or close to, uh, and they really vaulted themselves into that elite tier. Right. Um, I think you could probably include them in that top tier. I mentioned with Pittsburgh and Kansas city, and I do have them at three in my power rankings. And it's not, it's not a big difference between these two teams. I just feel like I trust Pittsburgh's defense a little bit more than Tampa Bay's at this point. Um, I trust Pittsburgh's offensive line more than Tampa Bay's offensive line. And Tampa Bay actually is ra- offensive lines rated higher right now than Steelers, the Steelers, but the Steelers have had a lot of injuries on their offensive line with Pouncey and some other guys getting banged up. Um, Big Ben. I love when he talks about, He's doing the, he came back. He, t- he was talking about um, this last week, basically his motivation for coming back and, and playing after that major elbow injury he had last year was he wants to do this for his offensive line for Pouncey and for, uh, I forget the names of some of these other guys on Pittsburgh's offensive line. Uh, Villanueva. I'm thinking of, uh, the, what's his name? Dick, Dick, the, the, I started with a D, the, the, uh, Castro, the Castro. Um, he likes to Castro a lot too. And, but Pouncey is his boy. And so he's really doing it for these guys who have been in Pittsburgh, been on a winning football team for a long time, but haven't seen that Super Bowl Cause I mean, big Ben hasn't won a Super Bowl since his what his third year in the league against the Cardinals. Yeah. He won his um, first two within those first few years in the league. Very early yeah. on. So it's been a while for Pittsburgh and they've had a winning team for a long time. And they just haven't been able to scratch another one out. And I think that, um, this second wave of, of Pittsburgh's success with big Ben has, um, really been Patriots 2.0. I mean, we want to talk about how the Patriots had such sustained excellence for the longest time. Pittsburgh's been right there with them. Just hasn't had the success in a super bowl sense when you super bowls as much as the Patriots, but they've really been in, in a similar vein where they're just always there. They're always good. They're always competing. And, um, I just trust Pittsburgh when it's in, January and it's snowing and it's a, it's a 21 to 17 game and it's close. And like, I just trust Pittsburgh in that matchup more than Tampa Bay at this point. And I know Tampa Bay, you, you can talk about all the great things they have going. I, I like Antonio Brown coming um, and joining the, the receiving court too. I was already stacked. Um, I don't, I can't tell you any reason why I think Tampa Bay isn't better than the Steelers. I think they could be, but just uh, from deep, like in my gut, I just feel like Pittsburgh is the more ready team for this moment. Like they're ready to compete with Kansas city. Like they're ready to make a push to a super bowl. And I think Tampa Bay still has another year or two away from some of their young, their young guys, but I, I don't know. We'll see. I mean, Tampa, Tom Brady's not getting any younger, but what's interesting is both these two quarterbacks for both those teams are so old. I mean, the Achilles heel for both these teams really is the pass rush. I mean, the, uh, the pass rush for their opposing defenses, like pressuring Ben Roethlisberger and Tom Brady is the key to winning either to beating either of those teams. Like if you pressure Roethlisberger and Brady, like you'll win. 
that football game, but the, that's not an easy task, like by any means, because both quarterbacks get the ball out so fast and both offensive lines are pretty solid. Yeah. Adding Godwin and Brown back to this team will really help Brady because both of these guys are exceptional route runners. Mike Evans is more of um, a go up and get it contested ball type of player. And that's really not Brady's um, persona at this point in his career. He's much more of a timing guy. And so if he has two route runners that are going to be in the place where he expects them, he's going to put the ball in their hands and they're going to catch it. And so I really don't think we've seen this team's full potential yet. They've only had Fournette back a couple of weeks. He's done really well catching passes and being a third down back. Ronald Jones has been one of the most effective running backs on the ground this season, which has been a nice surprise for this team. And their defense has been performing really strongly. But you're absolutely right in, in saying that the Steelers this season, their resume has just looked better. They have more wins. But for me, I think I'm ranking a little bit on the potential that I see out of the Tampa Bay Bucks, And I think they have a bit of a higher ceiling with their weapons um, when it comes to having to compete with a Kansas City Chief, let's say. And I do yeah. trust Tom Brady a bit more than Big Ben in late game situations, regardless of that gap he had earlier in the season. Um, throughout his career, he's just been a little bit better um, with the ball in terms of not putting it in compromising situations. Big Ben's usually good for one or two interceptions at bad moments throughout a season or in a playoff game. Yeah. It was interesting that you brought up the point in trying to compare these two teams because they're actually very similar. And you look at a lot of their stats, like they have very similar statistics across the board. Right. Three great playmaking wide receivers, really good running games, really strong defenses, yeah. older well quarterbacks. coaches. Yep. The, the continuity of all respect. Yep. Absolutely. I think that it's a really, I picked the Steelers over Tampa Bay. I mean, it's really personal preference because I mean, really these two, these two teams are very similar. Um, and the fact that the, my main reason behind Pittsburgh really is just a belief that Pittsburgh's offense is better than they show for a good amount of the time. Like Pittsburgh's offense has a, I know Tampa Bay's offense. I'm not trying to say, but I'm not trying to say this, in contrast to Tampa Bay's offense, because I know they're really good. We're splitting one better when we're league. talking about yeah. two versus three versus four. My, you know? Yeah. Yeah. My idea with Pittsburgh's offense is like, they show it when they need to. And only when they need to, like they, they're like, they're like, um, how top, uh, new England used to just like break out Gronkowski later in his career when they needed him, like mm -hmm. for the big plays, like he would come out of the garage and like, you bring the old, old classic car that's like beautiful and you bring them out the car only once in a while for a nice test drive like taking it off you the really sheet it. and you yeah know, yeah, yeah. Up. So, it's a nice day you got the tunes on i think pittsburgh's offense can sometimes look worse than they actually are um i just feel like they have a championship gear that not all the teams have and i'm not saying tampa bay doesn't have that they have the best quarterback of all time leading their offense so they could really they could really have the best offense in any game um but the point is just like Pittsburgh has shown I've watched a lot of Pittsburgh this year and I've seen at times in football games when they just hit a gear and it's like, almost like when LeBron James um, is playing a game seven in, in like a finals or an elimination game or something, a playoff game, like a game seven, like LeBron James never has bad games and he and will turn it up. He has that championship gear in those moments where like he just, he's playing his most focused best basketball and the Steelers have that championship gear it looks like where the, when it's time to get the big play or it's time to get the touchdown or it's time to get the first down to, to ice the game, or it's time to do like they, they game in and game out this season have just 
done the made the right plays and like been able to get the touchdown when they needed it and move the football when they needed to and have the big plays when it mattered. Like that mat that matters to me. Like they have a it's like they have that I don't it's it's hard to explain the steadiness about them, a level headedness. And they the fact that they have um Tomlin as the head coach, he he just sets that level all the way down throughout the team. And there's definitely a little bit more personality on the bucks and, and some fieriness. So they could, it could hurt them, but it could also help them. It'll, it'll be interesting to see the way it goes the rest of the season for these guys. Definitely. So what's your take on, I, you brought the bucks and I, I had these two teams kind of linked together in my mind going into this week because they're facing each other. The saints and new Orleans saints and the damn Bay Buccaneers are facing each other. Probably the game of the week. In my opinion, we talked a little bit about the bucks already. What's your take on this game? And I, I know you're kind of on one side in this and I, I'm honestly on the other a little bit. And so how many your take on the bucks are favored by four and a half um, lane, four and a half to the saints. What's your take on this game going into week nine? I really like the Bucks in this game. Um, I really think that they're starting to get the engine running. Tom Brady has kind of hit a stride. I know that they had a bit of a bumpy ride against the Giants, but I also think that part of that was they were holding a little bit back specifically for this game, knowing that they're going to have a fully roster and then they get to utilize some of those exotic game plans that sometimes Arians can put forward that can really um, throw another team off. Um, now that they're going to have Antonio Brown, the ground game's hitting its stride. They both have Fournette and Rojo, like we talked about. I, I love them in this matchup. I think the Saints' defense in terms of the passing game isn't very good. And I really don't trust Drew Brees. He hasn't looked strong all season. I know he's been missing a lot of weapons, and he should get Michael Thomas back this week. But I'm also worried about Michael Thomas. He, he's been in and out of the lineup for different reasons. He's actually only been played in week one. So he's been out of the lineup for three different reasons. First, it was an ankle next he punched one of his teammates and now it's a hamstring so the likelihood of him inserting back into the lineup and just performing like nothing has happened i don't think is very strong um and it's going to take some time for him to develop that chemistry back again with drew Brees. and so when it comes down to it i think brady has looked better than breeze and i think the bucks defense has looked better than the saints defense so i'm going to take the bucks here by a touchdown all right, touchdown. You you said so you would take it up to Tampa Bay minus seven on this. Well, that's my prediction for the game. I think okay, they would I win you. a touchdown. I, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna um, tease it up to seven points. No, but I think they win the game by a touchdown, which is why I like the four and a half. Okay, let me tell you this. So I'm on New Orleans in this game plus four and a half, and it's a value play for me. I think that the power rankings have these two teams closer than this line might indicate. Um, and I, I by no means would I say the Saints are the better team. But I, I just feel like this is a divisional matchup. I think this game could really just be sided by a field goal or, or, or so. I think this is going to be a close one. I don't see how this game ends up being a blowout either way. Uh, and two great offensive lines. I know it's been the theme of my, my analysis so far this, this week, but I, I, I was diving into a lot of these offensive line numbers and it makes sense that some of these teams that are having success or that I, I feel like past the eye test on offense have great offensive lines. And this is another two teams that have great offensive lines like Tampa Bay's their second against the pass, um, their offensive line and their 11th against the run. New Orleans is seven in both facets. Uh, so they both have a top, Top seven, I would say, offensive line this year. Um, the Bucks' defense has been elite under Todd Bowles. 
The Saints defense, I would say, actually has improved a little bit of late. I know we talked a little bit early, early on in their struggles on defense. I think that they're starting to pick up a little bit better. Um, the, Dennis Allen, the, the defensive coordinator for New Orleans, has very complicated schemes. It has uh, very complicated schemes. And it's taken some time, I think, for New Orleans to pick up on a lot of what he's trying to do there. And they're starting to play a little bit better, I would say. And, and they've gotten a little bit healthier. I believe Lattimore is back now, correct? And um, with, with my take here, they're really just two great teams. And I like the chances of this game being decided by a field goal or less. I have New Orleans uh, and Tampa Bay within. Uh, I have Tampa Bay at three in my power rankings. And I have New Orleans ranked at uh, seven. And really, that ends up being about a two-point difference or so um, in rankings. And I, I feel like you're getting about a point to a point and a half of value here, taking the Saints at four plus four and a half. Yeah, it looks like Lattimore is on track to play. I think he got um, a limited practice in like, on Thursday, Friday. So yeah, it's, it's going to be a game time decision. Yeah, I do think it's a big deal that Michael Thomas is returning. I know you said he's had some issues already this year, which is kind of some chemistry stuff, punching a teammate and everything in the injuries. But I do. Drew Brees is a different quarterback when he's in the game. So I do really like his return. Um, just some notes on this one, though, like some stats on the Saints have on offense have been really interesting this season. Like, so we all know that they don't like to throw the ball deep. Drew Brees, arm has kind of been wearing over the years. He hasn't, he's only thrown the ball six times over 20 yards this season, wow. just six. I mean, with Michael Thomas, I think this is going to help. This is why I, I'm kind of leaning saints plus four and a half this week. The saints rank 20th in air yards this season, just 918 that, and they rank 29th in average yards per completion. Have five, they average five yards per completion. It's all those dumb balls um, to Kamara. Yeah. So all of his, all of his completions are coming in their mid range, like 20 yards and less. And they often go to Kamara. And the fact that Kamara has been just so incredible this year, like he's in the MVP race, like he might win MVP if Russell Wilson and Kyler Murray and uh, Tom Brady, like open the gates for him. Like he has a chance to win the MVP. Like he's leading the league in yards after catch by a mile, like a mile. He he's got 525 yards after the catch. He's in first place. And in second place is Cooper cup with the Los Angeles Rams. Cooper cups got 305 yards after the catch. That's 120 yards more. Sorry. 220 yards more than the second place guy. Kamara is amazing and he's elongating the career of drew Brees. um one thing with the saints that kind of confuses me is this taste and hit this taste and hill usage that they insist upon like it doesn't make sense to me like it did work at times against the bears he had a good game i think he had like 14 fantasy points but like than Brees. <laughs> yeah it, the only thing with Taysom Hill is sometimes they'll bring him in on crucial big money downs, like big third and fourth downs where you want your best players on the field running like your best plays. And when Hill's on the, on the field, it doesn't feel like the saints run their best plays and Hill doesn't feel like one of their best, like five skill position players. Like he, he, Taysom Hill comes in the field for like a change of pace, almost like a knuckleballer in baseball or like a, a, a lefty, a lefty specialist in baseball, like a, out of the coming out of the bullpen. Like this guy is designed to change the pace of your offense and give the defense a different look that they haven't seen yet in that game. I don't think that bringing Taysom Hill on crucial third and fourth downs where you need to convert is a good idea because your best player on your offense is Alvin Kamara. And who's the best player at feeding your best player on offense is it's Drew Brees. And Drew Brees is he's still leading the league in completions this year. So the fact that, yeah, he's not throwing the ball downfield doesn't mean the 
that Drew Brees can't complete passes and, and move the, move the chains on offense. I mean, the saints do have an offense that generates first downs and uh, scores points this way. This is how they, they've scored points this year and it's working for them. And I, I just think that the fact that the saints have an identity like this, like they had, they know who they are. This matters this season because this year has just been so crazy. Like trying to figure out who's playing, like who's going to be playing on your team. It, and what your who you some teams don't even know who they're going to be playing the next week based on these schedule changes and stuff like that. Like just so many variables in this season. I think that having uh, the the picking up like zeroing in on the teams that have identities and know how to win. Like they've already mapped out formulas for ways in which they they can win football games is important. Like the Saints know how to win football games, and and that matters to me. And I think that the Saints are going to. In, in this Bucks matchup this week, I think they're going to keep it close. I, I honestly feel like the Bucks um, are in danger of being upset in this one. Should be a good game. Right, ben, before you go on, I'm going to take a pee break real quick. All right, go ahead. One, one more thing before we go on to the next topic. Sure. So one thing to look at here in this game with the Baltimore, I mean, sorry, the Tampa and New Orleans matchup. Um, and we already talked about this with Brady and, and big Ben a little bit is these older quarterbacks, Drew Brees here in question need to be pressured. And that's how you beat these teams. And so the, the key matchup here that I'm going to be looking at closely and which this is why I feel like this game is such a coin flip and I'm not going to be gambling on it actually. Um, is I, and I'm just leaning New Orleans plus four and a half. I'm not actually going to bet on it is look at this matchup between Tampa Bay's defense and their blitzing rate and Drew Brees's pressure rate, his hurry rate. So Drew Brees ranks dead last in hurry rate this year. Amongst qualified quarterbacks, Drew Brees gets pressured on the least amount. Like he, nobody's been able to pressure Drew Brees this year. He ranks dead last among qualified quarterbacks in pressure percentage at 11.4%. Some notable guys on the other side of these rankings, Daniel Jones gets pressured at 28.8%. Kirk Cousins, 26.7%. Carson Wentz, 25%. Deshaun Watson, 24.8%. Drew Brees, I remind you, 11.4%. How does that make sense, Connor? Like, If you have an older quarterback, you would think you would pressure him. You would force him to make decisions with his feet and to have to throw the ball under hurt under duress and defenses are not doing that to drew Brees. And I think that that the matchup between the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and the fact that they blitz the second most in football this year, 42.9% of the plays uh, Tampa Bay plays on defense, they blitz. So there's going to be some sort of meat in the middle here with this hurry rate and this, uh, this blitz rate with Tampa Bay. And New Orleans offensive line and Tampa Bay's defensive line is going to be the matchup to look at. And whether or not that if, if Tampa Bay's defensive line is able to get to Drew Brees, they're going to cause some turnovers, I think. And that's what's going to cause Tampa Bay to take this one. But that's really the key matchup in this Tampa Bay New Orleans matchup. The best way to defend against a strong pass rush is a great screen game. And I think that's part of the reason the saints have one of the lowest pass yes. rush uh, percentages against them is because we know we, like you just talked about Alvin Kamara is the best in the game in terms of yards after the catch. And if you bring the house against the saints and you have Alvin Kamara leak out, 
you're going to give up 20, 30, possibly a touchdown. And it's just going to be yeah. huge plays. So what teams like to do is they like to sit back in space and guard against that type of situation. And they know Drew Brees, for the most part, is going to get the ball out of his hands quickly anyway. He's not throwing the deep ball. So a pass rush isn't really going to do you too much good against the Saints. Um, so if the Bucks are actually able to get after him and, and contain Alvin Kamara, then they're going to be in good shape. I think Alvin Kamara does have a good game here, not on the ground, but specifically through the air. Yeah, I agree with that for sure. I like, I like Kamara to, to have a good receiving game this, this week. Um, dude, look at, so let me, let me give you a little bit of a, of a comical perspective on this pressure rate statistics. So pressure rate is basically the amount of times that quarterbacks are pressured per drop back. So how many times that they have to throw the ball under pressure. Um, and, and by that, they just mean like when a defensive player is, is within uh, basically reach reach of a quarterback. They're rushing a throw uh, a little bit. Yeah. So let me, let me tell you the guys at the top, Nick Mullins, Justin Herbert, Daniel Jones, Kirk Cousins, Russell Wilson actually is an interesting one, but Carson Wentz, Sam Darnold, Deshaun Watson, like, those are some guys that are, I would say uh, on the younger side, guys who actually move well with their feet. I would say most of those guys do. I mean, Cam Newton's up there. Like these guys are good with their feet. They're good running quarterbacks and they have the highest pressure rates. But let me tell you the guys on the other pers- the other side of this rankings and, and pressure percentage, the guys who get pressured the least amount. Sorry, I told you Jubilee's a, a pressure 11 point, some whatever it was. It's actually 13.3, but he's still ranked dead last, 33 amongst qualified quarterbacks. So 13.3% is Drew Brees. After that, Tom Brady, 13.8. After that, Aaron Rodgers, 14.4. After that, Philip Rivers, 14.6. After that, Jared Goff, which, I, like I said, is I think because of their offensive line. The offensive line in LA is so good. I mean, Big Ben's down there at 17.4%. Like, these quarterbacks you think would should be the ones that are pressured the most, yet these defense are not getting pressure on these quarterbacks. And I, I think something has to do with um, – their offenses for these teams, understanding that it's of utmost importance of protecting these older quarterbacks, protecting them because they don't one, they don't move great with their feet. Typically they're kind of on the slower side, but also the fact that they're older and any, any one hit can knock them out for the rest of the season. So um, I think part of the reason why you see some of these veteran quarterbacks on the, on the lower side of these rankings is, is that, but also the fact that they get, they, get the ball out of their hands faster and they understand game flow and they have a, a great internal clock. Like they understand when it's time to throw the ball and avoid sacks and like they do all the small things. Right. And that matters with, with defeating a pass rush. And that's how some of these veteran QBs attack the pass rush and, and combat efforts of teams like the. I, that's why I think Drew Brees is going to be able to pass the ball against Tampa Bay this week. I think that, uh, he's going to get the ball out quickly. And like you said, on a lot of screen passes to Kamara and then hopefully Michael Thomas helps him back with some of the, the stretch in the field aspect. Yeah, you're, you're right on. And I think the correlation is clear when you think of the quarterbacks you mentioned who have the highest pressure rate, they're also mobile. So they're able to hold on to the ball longer, let plays develop and go out of the pocket and throw the ball. We know Herbert Wilson, Josh Allen, these guys are all really good with their feet and throwing on the run. Um, and they both really love throwing long balls and they have uh, players on their teams that are very conducive to that. And then you mentioned some of the quarterbacks at the bottom of that list, like um, Tom Brady 
or uh, Aaron Rodgers, uh, as well as Drew Brees, these guys are holding onto the ball a lot less because they're not mobile and they can't get out of the pocket and extend the play in that way. But at the same time, they don't have a lot of field stretchers on their team and they don't really like throwing the long ball this stage in their career as well. Definitely. I I, I just find that super interesting that, I mean, so you, you see like Daniel Jones is the, has been the most blitz quarterback this year. Wentz, Burrow, Josh Allen. Like I think some of it also is as quarterbacks with the good, with who are fast and good with their feet also run themselves into pressure. Mm-hmm. They'll escape the pocket and run towards a defensive player on accident or in the vicinity of a player to try to get away from, get a bigger break or, you know, get into open space. I think there's some of that as well, but I don't know. I think that's interesting. I mean, these guys are known to make mistakes too. Just the three guys you mentioned, Wentz Jones, uh, who was the third guy? Burrow, I mentioned Josh Allen. Josh like, Allen, right there. Those guys. So those guys yeah. are very known to turn the ball over, whether it's it's with fumbling or through interceptions and bringing a pass rush on, on players like that who tend to make shaky decisions or to try to play hero ball. I like to say that's what Carson Wentz does. He tries yeah. to, no matter how bad the play looks, tries to make the play. So bringing pressure on those guys, it makes a lot of sense because their likelihood to turn the ball over is much greater. Um, things we don't necessarily associate with the pedigree of Aaron Rodgers, Tom Brady, Drew Brees. Yeah. Well, also, I mean, Aaron Rodgers is an interesting one. He's been blitzed the fifth most in this season, but he also has one of the lower passing I mean, uh, pressure rates. And that's just a good reflection of his offensive right. line, uh, as well as Jared Goff. Jared Goff has been pressured the seventh most times this season, but he also has one of the lower pressure percentages as well. So I think some of these offensive lines are kind of bailing some of these guys out too. But I don't know. I just thought that was an interesting correlation between the, the older quarterbacks getting pressured less and the fact that these defenses are probably trying to pressure these quarterbacks, but they haven't been able to with success yet. So we'll see how, if anything changes against uh, a a good new Orleans offensive line and a a great Tampa Bay defensive line. So we'll see if they're able to get to breeze in this one. All right. So let's talk about some of these um, games this week. Some of our best bets. I wanted to dive into some of uh, the specific matchups. Did you have a best bet on the week? I know you, are you going to go with Tampa Bay plus four and a half? No, I like that game, but it's not my best bet because like we said, there are some unpredictable components coming back, um, whether Lattimore plays, whether Michael Thomas plays. So those are things I would want to monitor leading up to game time before I were to place a bet. And that goes for all the games. We, we urge you, if you are going to place a bet, unless the, the line looks extremely attractive for where it is and you think it might move by the end of the week, um, try to get as much info as you can in terms yeah, well of injury, said. in terms of COVID, in terms of game times, um, as well as weather. We saw last week with the Raiders and the Browns game, you obviously wouldn't have wanted to play the over, which originally looked like a good option uh, with two bad defenses, but the wind um, ended up impacting that game. So make sure you take all these things into consideration. Uh, so on that on that side, I'm not going to go with that game until I have a little bit more info. But my my best bet of the week is actually the Seattle Seahawks, and they're playing against Buffalo, and they're minus three. Um, I really trust Russell Wilson. I like him to come up big in a game where the Buffalo Bills have been sliding, and I think Josh Allen is a younger player. I'm not so sure in terms of his confidence level and his 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 ability to make smart decisions. I think he might try to play some hero ball in this game because they are facing one of the top teams in the league. And I like uh, Seattle's uh, opportunity to really outpace the, uh, the Buffalo bills in this one. Yeah, this was one of the most difficult games for me to pick. Um, and 
the fact that look, I, I I'm never going to tell you you're wrong for betting on Russell Wilson and Seattle's offense. I mean, they could score. They probably have the best offense in the league. I mean, I'll, you could say that about Kansas city as well, but Seattle's offense has been incredible. DK Metcalf looks like Calvin Johnson, 2.0 Megatron 2.0. I mean, he's incredible. Um, and pair him with Tyler Lockett. There's no other better possession receiver that can yeah. also extend the field and, and make unbelievable catches himself. Yeah. So with this matchup, the Seattle Buffalo matchup, I have this one just too close to, to really be able to place a bet either way on this one. Um, and I like your Seattle pick, but I worry about their defense and, and I, I lean Seattle's way actually. And you can convince me a little bit to lean their way. Um, and I just, thought of this where their defense is getting a little bit healthier this week. They're getting Jamal Adams, I believe back. And so that should help. Um, but I'm concerned about whether or not they'll be able to stop this Buffalo offense. I think Zach Moss is running the ball really well for Buffalo's um, running attack there. He's been um, the fantasy guy to own the last week or two. He, I think he's dominating red zone carries right now over Devin Singletary. I saw Matthew Berry tweeting about him and, and Zach Moss being the guy to own there. Um, but I worry about Seattle's ability to stop Buffalo on off on, on Buffalo's offense and Seattle's defense. And um, I think we're going to see a lot of points in this one. So I don't know what the over under is. I haven't looked at that yet, but I would tend to lean on the over on this. I think that both these teams are going to be playing well. Um, I think Buffalo's coming off the bye. Correct. No, sorry. They had the close game against New England last week, but look, I don't have too much to say against your Seattle pick. I just, I'm not, I'm worried that the market is overcorrecting on Buffalo. Um, at the fact that they, they won some close ones. They looked good early on and they've looked struggle a little bit the last few weeks. Like I'm worried that Buffalo could still be, I have them ranked ninth in my, in my power rankings. If you look at the nine to I have Seattle at five, you have Seattle six and Buffalo at seven. Like that's like a point to a point and a half difference in power ranking values. I mean, Seattle at five would be about a four um, point value over above average. And, and Buffalo would be about like a point and a half to two points, maybe three points above average. Um, and so we're looking at like a point to two point to two and a half points max of difference in value. And this line is at three. Um, Seattle's favored by three. I, the, the they're the road dog in this one. We've seen a lot of road dog success. Like there's a lot of factors going for weighing the, weighing the scale on this one, Buffalo versus Seattle. And I don't know how this is going to play out. This is one of my most unpredictable matchups of the weekend. So I, I, I don't love making Seattle my best bet, but I mean, if you're confident in it, I'll roll with you on that. I'll take Seattle. Yeah. I like Seattle. Another team I like to um, have a really good game this week is the Ravens against the Colts. I think that one's only two and a half as well. So these are both games where when I see the line is around two and a half or three, and we know that, you know, Vegas is giving a point or a point and a half. These are games that are closer to a coin flip. And when that happens, I look at, okay, who, which team has been performing really strongly lately. Um, and for me, that's the Seahawks. The bills have had some very questionable games and honestly, I need to move them down in my power rankings. I don't think really they're a top 10 team this year. I think um, I probably need to slide them back behind the Cardinals and, and maybe the Titans. Um, 
But yeah, the, the Bills, they, they've had close games with the Rams. They e- easily could have lost, and they easily could have lost last week against the Patriots if it wasn't for a, a late Cam Newton fumble on the last play of the game. Um, that game would have been going to overtime. So while they are 6-2, and two, they could just as easily be 4-4. Four and four. And given that consideration, if you if you had a 4-4 four and four going against a 6-1 and one team, I think this line looks a lot, a lot different. And so I think you're actually getting a couple extra points. And if you're giving me a couple of extra points with the best, what I think is maybe the top three offense in the league and probably the best performing quarterback in the league right now, I'm going to take that all day. Um, And that kind of goes along the same lines with the Ravens. I think the Ravens have had a a really tough schedule so far. I think Lamar Jackson has a get right game. He's still been playing really well. So if he cuts out a couple of those mistakes, I don't trust Phillip rivers and the Colts. So both I can, I make two best bets. Is that, is that okay, Ben? Can I break the rules here a little bit? Uh, I think I'm going to split it. So, cause I'm definitely going to put money on both of these this week. Give me, give me the Seahawks and give me the Ravens. I like it. I like the Ravens pick a little bit more. Um, I think you're, you're right in the sense that uh, this, this game, I mean, the spread before their loss last week to Pittsburgh, the spread on this one, probably like Baltimore minus four. I would say so. Maybe we we've shrunk the gap about a point and a half, especially after Indianapolis's big win against. Um, they played really well last week. Who they play? Who they beat last week? I can't remember. I remember the fantasy stats from their players. But I don't remember the game outcome. Oh, the Lions. Was, yeah, that was uh, a good Jordan game. Wilkins had ninety yards, I think, yeah. and a touchdown. Forty-one twenty-one. Uh, they they had a great game against uh, against Detroit last week, um, and so the the line has shrunk. I would I would guess. Um, Based compared to the uh, the bet ahead, the look ahead line um, before this week, so I like that, and I like Baltimore coming off of the bye. I mean, usually I, I I'll give a little bit of a plus to a team that has a good that's well coached, and I do like I like Harbaugh, um, and I'll, I'll usually give a team that's well coached a little bit of a bonus coming off of a loss, um, a, a big loss like that uh, coming off of that uh, loss against Pittsburgh last week. I think Baltimore will be looking to make a statement win in this one and, and come back strong um, facing. I mean, Pittsburgh, like we said, could be one of the best teams, if not the best team in the league. There's no shame in losing that one, but now they go into Indianapolis with a must win game here against the Colts. And so I think Baltimore is going to be playing well. Um, I think a little bit of an addition by subtraction for Baltimore. It doesn't look like Mark Ingram's going to play. And I think JK Dobbins is probably the best running back they have last week. He went over a hundred yards against the Steelers. So I know the Colts are a tough matchup, but Dobbins yeah. looks like he could be an RB two so, this week. And so a really a, good play. It's a little bit of a Ewing theory, a little bit of Ewing theory with Mark Ingram. I think you think? So. He was a guy who had 15 touchdowns, but he really has, he's been getting about a third to, you know, maybe 50% of the workload, the running back carries. And he's probably been the least efficient running back out of all three. Um, the other one being Gus Edwards, who last week had 15 or 16 carries for maybe 87 yards, I want to say. Yeah, he he looked good last week. So both of those guys are really good. Uh, J.K. Dobbins is one of the um, most elusive players in the league. He's a good pass catcher, and he's kind of a load to take down. He's not the tallest guy, but he's he's pretty wide, and so... I like Dobbins. I think he's, he's going to have a really good week. And I think we could see him maybe take that lead role moving forward and Mark Ingram start to get phased out of this team. Yeah. We were doing our power rankings this week, looking at um, trying to shape out how, how things are, are playing out and looking going forward this year. Baltimore was one of these teams that is super intriguing to me. And I, I don't, they're, they've been a team that's difficult to pinpoint this year. I think, um, Last season, Baltimore's offense was 
unstoppable. Lamar Jackson was the MVP. Like they, you couldn't stop the run against them. Like they couldn't, they move the ball whenever they want. They put up some of the most points in the league. Like they were so efficient on offense last year and this year they haven't been nearly as effective. And so my thought was like, let me look at what's different this year. Why, why are they not as good on offense this season? And People want to place the blame on Lamar Jackson. Well, look, Lamar is not the one to blame. He's playing just about the same as he was last year. You look at the completion percentage. It's about six points down, 66.1% in 2019, 16.5% here in 2020. So it's not that big of a drop-off. This is a right around his career average of 60%. So it's not great. He's by no means I'm saying Lamar's throwing the ball well, but here's the point here. So, yeah, slight regression there, but not crazy. Yeah. So adjusted yards per pass attempt is down a full yard, uh, yard and a half. He's at, he was at 8.9 yards per attempt, air yards per adjusted yards per attempt. Sorry. Uh, pass attempt to 7.4 this year His per, but here's the, here's the key. And this is where I'm looking at. I believe Baltimore's offensive struggles have been coming from is the pressure percentage. Lamar Jackson last year was, we talked about the pressure percentage already a little bit this this earlier on the podcast. Last year, Lamar was pressured on 16.2% of his drop back throws last year. 16.2%. I believe that was one of the lower lower rates in the in this in the league last season. This year, he's one of the he's been a blitzed he's been pressured above average at above average rate, 23.2% here in 2020. I think he's like 15th or I think he's actually higher. I think he's like in the maybe the top 10 in pressure percentage this year at 23.2. And the key is the offensive line. The offensive line is allowing Lamar Jackson to be under duress more often. And it's causing him to play just a little bit worse. And that difference has been the key and why I think their, their offense has been less efficient this year. The offensive line last season ranked third in run blocking and eighth in pass blocking. This year, they ranked 12th in run blocking and 22nd against the pass. 22nd. So that's well below average. Lamar is not running as much or as efficient as he was last year, but it's not that much worse. He's averaging, he's averaging 22 yards less a game, 0.5 less rush attempts per game. So he's been a little bit efficient, but he's running the ball almost at the same rate. He's just not getting as much space to run and he's not getting as, as much space to work with. And that's to blame directly to his offensive line. I think, I mean, the reality is Lamar isn't playing much worse that just, he's just not the MVP version. He was last year. Baltimore's issues are in the trenches. Their offensive line is showing is allowing a much higher pressure rate on Lamar this year. And he just hasn't been, he's been basically as accurate as he always been. He has, he's never been known for being the most accurate QB. He wasn't that accurate last year. The fact of the matter is Lamar Jackson was most effective with the threat of the run and the pass. The fact that he could beat you on a 50 yard, 75 yard running play at any moment, but also be a threat to throw the ball downfield on a streaking route to Marquise Brown or Mark Andrews. Like that is a major threat and really difficult for defenses to coverage to, to uh, defenses to cover. And that has not that threat of the dual, the dual threat has not been in defense's minds when they face Baltimore this year. And I think that's been the main key. I mean, the, the receivers have not been creating a lot of space. Uh, Mark Andrews having a much worse season this year than he was last year. Marquise Brown's been basically non-existent. He caught one pass last week. I know it was a touchdown for about three yards, but just the one touchdown catch for three yards. He's really been having a disappointing year and fantasy owners drafted him pretty high. The fact of the matter is that Baltimore has not been able to get on a roll passing the ball. And the fact, and the reason why is their offensive line, not allowing Lamar Jackson the time that he needs to make the right reads and make accurate throws. And 
And if they don't improve upon this, my thought is that they're not going to be able to beat the elite teams, the Pittsburgh's, the Tampa Bay's, the Kansas cities. I mean, I think they're even a threat to, to get beaten by some of these teams that score more points than them, like Seattle's and Tennessee even. And the teams that score a lot of points, I think are going to be a problem for Baltimore because I don't know that their offense is going to be able to keep up. I don't think that they could score enough points to keep up with some of the elite offenses in this league. Yeah. And I think you make a fair point. And so people might be wondering, okay, you have all of these faults that you're describing. Why do you guys have them in your top five? And I think what we would say back to that is this team is still five and two. We saw what they did last year. We know what their potential mm-hmm. is with Lamar Jackson. So if they do start to get some of these things right in, in games where they're currently competing, they're going to start blowing teams yeah. out instead. Um, Lamar yeah, had 37 touchdown passes last year. So we my, knew we my analysis is my analysis is just trying is trying to compare them to last year's team. Last year's Baltimore team was let me remind you the the NFL Super Bowl favorite for much of the season last year. Like they were what most people were were betting on Baltimore to make it to the Super Bowl and win the Super Bowl out of the AFC, and they were fantastic last year. And so the fact that their offense isn't as good as they were last season is not it doesn't mean that they're automatically not going to make some sort of deep playoff push and that they're disqualified from competing this year. I'm just saying that they're not as good as they were last year. And I think Kansas city is, they're just as good or better as they were last year. And I think Pittsburgh is better than they were last year. And I think Tampa Bay is better than they were last year. So I'm not, I'm not breaking any news with those two, but um, you're telling me Tampa Bay with Tom Brady and Antonio (laughs) Brown is better than they were last year. Yeah. So the fact of the matter is Baltimore's not as good as they were last year. And if last year they weren't good enough to win the Super Bowl, then what makes you think this year they will be? And that's the point. Like, so they could, yeah, they could chill at four or five in my power rankings, but they're not going to, my point is I don't have them as Super Bowl favorites and I don't want to be putting money on them to win a Super Bowl this year. So let's look at some of these other uh, matchups. I, you went over your best bet. You got, the I'm doubling down Seahawks. Yeah. So you got the Seahawks at minus three and the Buccaneers at plus. No, no, sorry. Uh, Ravens. What was the other one? Ravens minus one and a half. I like, I like the Ravens pick. I, I th- honestly think that I think they're a well, lot better than I'm, the Colts. Yeah, and that's I saw, kind of well, a spent, coin flip line. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, well, I spent the last 10 minutes talking negatively about the Ravens. They do a lot of things, right. Um, in football. And so I, I do think that they do have, they have a good chance at, at making a good comeback statement win against, I, I, I think this should be a, a good defensive matchup. I think, and that bodes well for the Baltimore Ravens in winning football. I think the Ravens do best when they play ground and pound physical running football. Um, and that's what I think the, the Colts are going to be giving them this week. So I give the advantage to the Ravens if, if the game plays out that way. Right. Yeah. The Colts are a very similar team in that they want to play defensively and also ground and pound. And I think the Ravens are just better in both categories um, compared to the exactly. Colts. And so if you give me a game with a one and a half point line, which is essentially a coin flip, then give me the Ravens. Um, Cause I think they're better in both facets that both of these teams want to accomplish. Yeah. All right. Let me give you a couple picks that I'm looking at. These are not my best bets, but I am looking at Houston minus six and a half strictly because Houston is facing a rookie quarterback. What's the guy's name? Luton, 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 Luton. You you had me at rookie quarterback with Houston. Six round so, pick rookie quarterback. Yeah, so I'll take that one. I'll give give me Houston minus six and a half. Um, I also like Pittsburgh minus fourteen. 
uh, against Dallas. And Dallas looks like they're going to be without Ezekiel Elliott, it looks like. So no Zeke. And they're starting – Dallas Cowboys are starting Garrett Gilbert at quarterback. Oh, my God. Never heard of Garrett Gilbert? Never heard of Garrett I hadn't Gilbert. heard of uh, Dan DiNucci before he started. So, no, definitely not. Is that their fourth-string <laughs> guy? It's not even you – know, you're, you're Dominic DiNucci is the dude from the good, the good, uh, Goodfellas. I mean, um, Godfather. And uh, Ben DiNucci is the quarterback for the Dallas Cowboys. Oh, there you go. <laughs> so, I mean, they're really reaching far down here. I, I, why can't one of these teams? Uh, why, why wouldn't they go and sign Jameis? I mean, they're right in the thick of these. The, the thick of these things. Well, in the is, NFC East. Is Jameis still on? Is Jameis a free agent? I thought he was. No, on he's New on the Saints still. right now. But I mean, why not yeah. trade for him? He would be a, a yeah. huge upgrade. You you, th- you could throw him in there right now with the weapon. Well, why you would have. you give up? Well, why would you give up a second round, third round pick for Jameis Winston? Because you I mean, can make the this playoffs point. this year. Yeah, that's true. The NFC East is so bad. If they but the Cowboys have so many problems. I think they would be uh, the favorite. Would they win the Super Bowl though? I don't. No, think so. absolutely not. They're not going to win the Super Bowl. But when you're the when you're the Cowboys and you've missed the playoffs year in and year that's out true. recently, and you have a chance this year, I don't know why not go for it. But yeah, they're bad. They're very bad. So I like yeah. that pick too. It's a big line, but I like that pick. Yeah, I'm never comfortable picking a two touchdown line, but dude, this Steelers matchup against Dallas looks like a major blowout. Gilbert's 29 years old. He's not, he's not young. He's not like a rookie. He entered the league in 2014 as a sixth round pick of the, of the St. Louis Rams. He bounced from St. Louis to New England, to Detroit, to Oakland, to Carolina. After two seasons with the Panthers, Gilbert tried his hand at the AAF. So he's, he's coming out of the AAF. He became one of the short-lived spring league's few stars, parlaying his performance into another shot at the NFL with the Browns. So the Browns signed him after his AAF performance, and then he found his way into Dallas, and now he's backing up, well, he's replacing rookie Ben DiNucci, who looked like dog shit <laughs> last week. <laughs> Couldn't even throw the ball. Did you see how he was, like, throwing the ball from his hip? Like, he was throwing sidearms. Like, dude, you're not, a, you're not some sort of, like, second baseman on the baseball field throwing from like 20 feet away to first base. Like, dude, you're, you're throwing a, you're an NFL quarterback, throw the ball. Right. Like, Oh my God. All right. So I, I like Houston minus six and a half Pittsburgh minus 14. Those are two good ones for me. I like, let me give you some best bets here though. I do. I love Arizona minus four and a half against the Miami dolphins here. Let me give my reasoning with this Miami last week. I, if you, Look, if you gave me the look ahead line, I believe this was Arizona minus six before last last week's slate of games. So they, they, they Arizona was on a buy. So Arizona stayed the same and they upped Miami about a point to a point and a half, I believe in most odds rankings based on their 20. I think they won like 23 to nine or, so, or 10 or something like that last week to um, the Rams. And my reasoning why I think it was like Arizona, 2017 in the end. Something like that. Arizona is only, is only laying four and a half points here. And I think this line should really be like Arizona minus six. And I think they're Vegas odds makers are giving too much credit to Tua in his debut. He looked less than spectacular, did not look explosive, did not look like he was able to make deep, deep throws and downfield throws. Like, yeah, he, he had some short passes that looked all right, but he was inaccurate on a lot of throws. I, I, I saw he he missed some easy ones. Like he had a slant, he had a slant pattern to uh, I believe Devontae Parker, like in the third quarter, that he just basically threw like ten yards over his head. 
to the left. Like he he's a rookie quarterback and he looked like a rookie quarterback. He's, he's a, not Justin Herbert and he's not Joe Burrow. He's not going to look like them. I don't think well, it's his first soon. game he's going against Aaron Donald. So I, I think but, it's too early to oh, say yeah, what, yeah, yeah. what I'm he not is, saying, especially yeah, yeah. he was operating with a big lead the whole game. So this team was well, running my the ball analysis the here. My analysis here isn't saying that Tua is a, a bust. My analysis here is saying that Tua this Straight week. <laughs> yeah, my, my analysis is saying that Tua this week is not an average quarterback. He's a below average quarterback at this point in his career. And so I think Arizona looks really good. And they looked really good two weeks ago. Um, and they had a great win against Seattle. Like Arizona, I had them, I believe, at 11 in my power rankings. Like Arizona is a very good football team. The offense is elite. They could score points with the best of them. Like I think Arizona is being undervalued here at just minus four and a half. And I think Miami's being overrated. So that's my main, my, my main point here is the, is Miami just feels like they're getting too much respect um, against an Arizona team that has already shown a propensity for scoring points this season. And, and I think that they could really just blow out Miami in this one. Yeah, I think the the difficult part about that is we just witness what the Dolphins' defense can do, and they've been very impressive this year. And so, can Kyler overcome that? Kyler has his passing numbers haven't been that great this year. So, does he do enough on the ground to get the game done? Uh, we know Kenyon Drake's going to be out, so that's another question mark. But I. Chase Edmonds is very good. So he's probably a great DFS play. And then on the other side of the ball, the Dolphins are also missing their top two running backs in Miles Gaskin and Matt Breida. So that means they're going to bring all the way back down to the third Mm -hmm. string guy who's been a healthy scratch the past three weeks. And that's Jordan Howard. Howard's stats on the year are extremely ineffective. Now, part of the fact is he's been the Mm -hmm. goal line back, but he is not the explosive pass catcher that both Rita and Gaskin are. And then you have Patrick Laird, who who was unsuccessful for the most part last year. So this team's going to have more difficulty passing the ball. Now that they have two at quarterback and they're going to have more difficulty running the ball with their top two options out. So I do like the Cardinals in this game um, to win, but it's a little bit scary for me, just how well that Dolphins defense is performing. Well, look, the Dolphin defense did get really dealt the easiest hand they possibly could have last week against the Rams. They had, they got two, two interceptions on Jared Goff, two fumble recoveries. One of them was returned for a touchdown and the other one was returned down to the one yard line. Jared Goff turned the ball over too easily on Sunday. And um, you could say all you want. Yeah. Miami's pass rush looked pretty good against a, a, a really like we've already talked about LA Rams have a great offensive line. Like there had, there was a, a, an aspect of that. So I'm not saying Miami's defense needs to be, it can be overlooked, but I'm saying that they just the 28 to whatever score it was like, that's not indicative of how this game went the turnover battle was heavily in favor of Miami in this one. And when you look at the final score and you think, Oh, Miami dominated, that's not the case. Like the Rams offense moved the ball decently. Like they scored the Goff had 350 yards passing the ball. The Russian attack had three, 131 yards running the ball for the Rams. They, they moved the ball. They just were not efficient in the red zone. And they had two, two lost fumbles and two interceptions. And that makes a difference in, in, a, in a tight ball game. So, yeah, Miami's defense played pretty well. They actually had a, a, a punt return. The special teams for Miami had a punt return touchdown. So that contributed to the final score and, and the blowout looking um, score here from Miami against the Rams. But I don't see like those are the turnovers are the most variable component in football. 
And if, if they, if Miami doesn't get three to four turnovers in this one, which I don't, I wouldn't bet on, I wouldn't bet on that happening. Um, I, I don't see how they're going to be able to uh, keep up with Arizona's offense. Like you said, they have so many issues on offense. Miami does um, a rookie quarterback that isn't necessarily um, playing at league average, two running backs or two running backs out. Um, I don't know that they have any other injuries that I could think of off the top of my head, but yeah, the, it's just going to be a struggle for Miami in a lot of different ways in a lot of different asset, uh, facets in this game. And I, I think Arizona coming off the bye is rested, looking well, um, going, going into this one. I think Chase, Esmond, Chase Edmonds um, is a great fantasy play this week. Um, we're, we'll talk about some of that on, a daily, on the daily segment coming up. But yeah, uh, that's my analysis on this one. Arizona minus five, you know, minus four and a half. All right. Let me give you my last best bet. Of, of the week is New England minus seven. And I, I feel like this against the Jets, they're going into New York on Monday night against the uh, New York Jets, the worst team in the NFL. Uh, I honestly don't have as much analysis on this one besides the fact that New England was in that game against Buffalo last week. They were, they were going to tie it and Cam Newton just had a freak fumble and uh, 28 seconds left or whatever it was. Um, on the bill side of the football and I mean, side of the field and new England was in that one and, and they had a tough loss and bill Belichick is known for being vicious off of losses is what four in a row now. So, I mean, I feel like that energy is just building up at this point. I mean, it's, it, I feel like we could get a new England blowout win against the jets in this one. The jets are just so bad. Adam Gase is literally their best asset because he, lets their team lose every game. He's getting them like for Trevor Gase. Yeah. Gase is getting them Trevor Lawrence so that he could be fired. So the next coach could have Trevor Lawrence. Like that's what's happening in New York. And the fact that this line isn't double digits just says that new England is being valued. So little. What's the line? Is it minus seven? Yeah. I have new England minus seven. Um, so to put that into a little bit of context, let me pull up the uh, the Jet score so far this season. So oh yeah, they they're they're averaging I think eleven points on the season. So their win their their loss differential on a weekly basis. Um, week one they lost by ten points to the Bills. Uh, then they lost to the 49ers 31-13, Colts thirty six seven. They lost to the Broncos by nine the Cardinals by 20 to the Dolphins by 24 yeah. to the bills by eight. And then last week to the chiefs, 35, nine. So on the year, they haven't lost a game by, by seven points or less yet. Literally every team they played has been beat, has beaten them by more than seven points. So you're yeah. absolutely correct that this line is set way too low. I know the Pats haven't looked good, but they just went toe to toe with the bills. We saw a little sure. bit of juice from Cam Newton. He looks like he's recovering a bit from COVID and I think they're going to spank this line. I mean, the jets are horrendous. Uh-huh. Okay. So in our picks pool, New, in- uh, New England is Minus seven, but it looks like the, the, the line's been bet down to nine and a half. So mm-hmm. in, right now it sits at New England nine, minus nine and, and a that half. That makes sense. I That's, still like yeah. it. I still like that. I mean, honestly, the, the Jets have three points over the last two games, don't they? They have three points. They had nine against uh, the Chiefs, and then they had 10 against the Bills. So they're averaging insane. nine and a half points a game. And then the Dolphins, they had a zero spot. So if you consider all those three, then they're right about, you know, what, six points a game? <laughs> For the yeah, last three, 
It's yeah. I mean, if you want to bet on anything, like the, the most for sure thing is bet the under on the Jets total. And the Pats the defense team is a total. great play this week. Yeah, for sure. Any, t- any mean, defense against really, the Jets. Really, you had me at the Jets and then Bill Belichick, and then that's all you need to know for me. I mean, New England. Jets in a single-digit line I'm is willing to bet this up. Yeah, I'm willing to bet this up to nine and a half where it sits now. Um, I'm going to try to lock this in before the end of the day. So As long as it's single digits, it's a great bet, in my opinion. Yeah. So I have, um, I have Houston minus six and a half, Pittsburgh minus 14, New Orleans, um, sorry, Arizona minus four and a half, and New England minus seven. You have, um, you have Seattle minus three and Baltimore minus two and a half. Yep. Okay. I like those picks. Those are good ones. Dude, I can't believe we lost the under on uh, the Thursday night football Green Bay San Francisco. That was a that was brutal. That was the, what what are the worst beats I've seen? Just the last yeah, second play means nothing. Brutal. Jarek McKinnon cheap touchdown blows my under. So annoying. All right, let's talk about some daily fantasy football. Or the last segment we'll get to it on the podcast. Um, running long on this one, so let's wrap it up. We um, it's a big week. Had a yeah. We had, we had uh, some decent performances last week. It looks like you outscored me 142.5 to 119.2. Um, evens up the score, right? Five, are we 4-4? Uh, four and four Yep, we're 4-4. Four and four. We literally switched every single week. So uh, this week means you're going to have the better lineup. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, um, let's, let's dive into some of our picks for the week. So um, let's start a quarterback. I, I ended up going with Justin Herbert for my week nine lineup. Um, facing the Las Vegas Raiders, Herbert at $6,800. Couldn't pass it up. I just feel like Herbert's a top three, top four fantasy quarterback this week. I think he throws the ball really well against Vegas. Yeah, I like that a lot. Herbert was in, so I actually made a lineup too for this week and I had Herbert. So then I was like, you know what, I'm going to pivot just to give a little bit of vari- variation from um, from what you have. So, you know, our listeners have two different yeah, options. Yeah, there's a lot there, of good but, QBs, I think, this week. Uh, so I, I picked on Tom Brady at 6,900. He's only $100 more. Okay. He's going against New Orleans. And like we said, he's, he's going to get Godwin and Brown back. And I think he's going to throw the ball a lot. And I think he's going to put up a lot of points. I like that pick too. I had Brady on my radar. Um, the 6.9 thousand is, I think that there's not a ton of meat on the bone in honestly with Herbert, there's not a ton of meat on the bone still with that 6.8 thousand. Um, those are right up around what I would price them, um, to start. Mm-hmm. But I mean, really it's worth it. I think both these quarterbacks, Brady and Herbert, I had been relying heavily fully, on Kyler Murray um, because he had been priced in like the six thousands and like low seven thousands and they finally caught up to it and they bumped him up to 7,800 and it, it, but it took a long time. They actually put him ahead of Russell Wilson. Um, Russell might be a good play. Same thing with Deshaun Watson. Yeah. Yeah. So other, other QBs I had uh, at decent values this week, Russell Wilson, obviously 7.6 thousand Deshaun Watson facing very porous Jacksonville defense at 7.1 thousand Deshaun Watson actually been playing pretty well after Bill O'Brien left. Um, I, I, I like that one. I think that would go, was going to be my elite pick, uh, for just, uh, quarterbacks, Deshaun Watson, um, at six, uh, 7.1 thousand Josh Allen, he pays in Seattle's poorest defense at 7,000 Brady. Like you said, 6.9. I like Herbert at 6.8. I also like Roethlisberger facing Dallas. Uh, Dallas's defense known already this season for being so terrible. Six point six point five thousand Roethlisberger. 
Um, and then my two bargain guys, I, I honestly wouldn't mind playing either of these two guys. If you're trying to make up for more money to spend um, on other parts of your roster, I don't hate the matchup for Derek Carr against the chargers at 5.7 thousand. And I don't hate drew lock against Atlanta uh, at 5.2 thousand. I think drew lock facing probably the worst passing defense in the league this year in Atlanta's um, defense. I, I think that 5.2 thousand is a decent play for drew lock um, in the daily fantasy landscape this week and week nine. One note I had for quarterbacks, though. Um, so while I'm not picking Lamar Jackson facing Indianapolis, I, I don't like the matchup. I think Indianapolis is a great defense, and I wouldn't want to start my quarterback against them in daily fantasy. Um, I do think that this is the last buy low week for Lamar Jackson in fantasy football. So if you are have considered trading for Lamar Jackson, if you think that he he'll be able to break out of this funk or and at least resemble some sense of what he showed last year and was the elite fantasy quarterback he was last year. I think this is the last by low week you'll get on him. Cause I mean, l- let me give you the next opponents after this week. So he faced the Colts. He faces the Colts who have a very good defense um, th- uh, this week in week nine, but let me give you the week 10 beyond matchups for Lamar Jackson. He faces new England, Tennessee, Pittsburgh, which is not, this is, this is the only bad matchup Pittsburgh, Dallas, Cleveland, Jacksonville, and the New York giants. So you have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven matchups after this. And one of them is a bad matchup against Pittsburgh. You got six out of seven matchups that are against below average pass defenses. I think Lamar Jackson has a great second half of the year. And I honestly think he's my maybe fourth or fifth ranked quarterback um, for our rest of season player rankings as well. Yeah, that makes sense. And that, that's a good play. The the Ravens D, it sounds like, will be a, a good option going forward, too, and maybe some of their playmakers if you want to buy low on Mark Andrews. All right. Tell me, who'd you have a running back in daily this week? Running back? Uh, we, a guy we talked about, Chase Edmonds. He's going to be locked in as the every down back. He's a great pass catcher. And, I uh, love Chase Edmonds. This is the consolidation of touches in this backfield. Kenny and Drake's going to be out, so he'll have a uh, first crack at Miami. Um, and then the other guy I'm going with is DJ Dallas. Uh, he's, he's only 5,000. We know that Hyde and Carson are going to be out this week, so he's going to get a lot like of starters pick. reps. And he's uh, involved in in the running game, but also the passing game. He had a nice week last week. Um, not very efficient, but he's going to get the volume, uh, and I like him to uh, get a touchdown against Buffalo. Yeah, I like that pick, DJ Dallas. I actually picked him up in in one of our fantasy leagues um, last week before he started um, the game against the uh, 49ers. And he looked good. I thought he looked good. And I, I don't hate that play this week. I just, I, I didn't end up selecting him because I thought that he was priced right around what I would price him anyways. So I, I didn't think that the value in terms of his pricing was fantastic, but I did think he, I mean, he, he's a good play this week. He could be a good RB two for you and your daily. So I, I don't, I don't dislike that one. I love the chase Edmonds pick. I'm trying to look up. So in week seven, of 2019, he uh, started. That was the last time he started solo, and he had hundred. He had 27 carries, 126 yards, three touchdowns, two receptions for 24 yards. He had three touchdowns on the day. <laughs> like, yeah, he was on. He, he played 94 percent of the snaps. So when he's on the field for over 90 percent of the snaps, like Chase Edmonds is a beast. Like. I, I honestly think if you could trade for him in fantasy, like go for it. I love him in fantasy daily fantasy this week. He's priced at 6.8 thousand. He's going to be my 
running back one, one, one B this week. I went with Chase Edmonds and I went with James Robinson facing Houston's poorest run defense at 7,000. I'm in running back spots. Yeah, both great starts, both not traditional name brand guys, um, new this year, um, but both going to be great this second half of the season. Uh, I like Chase Edmonds and and, uh, Robinson in that matchup. Yeah, some other running backs to target possibly in daily. Uh, I didn't hate Dalvin Cook. Uh, I think he could be an elite play against Detroit at 8.2,000. Chase Edmonds, we already mentioned. James Robinson, we already mentioned. I like Josh Jacobs against the Chargers, 6.3,000. Honestly, I kind of like Clyde Edwards-Hilaire against Carolina. Carolina's a terrible run defense. Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, again, his value is starting to be priced a little bit lower uh, after Le'Veon Bell came into the team. Edwards Hilaire had a, a rough week last week uh, for fantasy, but two weeks ago, Le'Veon's first game with the team, he looked pretty good still. I think Clyde Edwards is still the better back in that, in that rushing attack. I think he's still going to have a solid role. I, I think Carolina um, could be a good game for him to get back on track priced at just 0.61, 6.1 thousand. I think that's a decent value for him. Antonio Gibson. I don't, I don't hate against the giants at 5.8 thousand. I think he could have a good game priced at, um, right around the running back two level. I think that's a decent value. David Johnson against Jacksonville 5.6. I think that's a good matchup for him. Um, Jacksonville's defense is one of the worst in the league. Um, I did mention earlier on the podcast, I think Zach Moss is starting to come into his own in that Buffalo backfield. He's starting, like like I said, he's starting to dominate the red zone carries uh, against Devin Singletary and that Buffalo rushing attack. I think him against against the Seattle Seahawks can be some play. Priced out at 5.2,000. I don't hate Philip Lindsay at 5.2,000 against Atlanta. He's looked pretty solid as long as he plays. I know he's uh, questionable heading into the matchup this week. Uh, I had DJ Dallas in my value plays at 5,000. I, I, I like that one for the reasons you mentioned. I don't dislike Justin Jackson for the Chargers against Vegas run defense, which is known for being very subpar. Uh, Justin Jackson priced at just 4.9,000 could be a decent play. And then we'll talk about this one a little bit more. Jordan Howard against the Arizona Cardinals at 4,000 could be a decent play. He's going to be a starting running back for Miami. All right. So tell me, who'd you go with a wide receiver this week? So wide receiver, uh, I'm taking Julio Jones. Uh, Calvin Ridley's a big bit dinged up with the ankle. And I think uh, Julio's just going to see a ton of targets in the passing game. And so I really like him to lock down my wide receiver one spot. Um, After that, I'm going with the... uh, his his number one running mate for the past 10 years as the other top wide receiver, I'm taking Antonio Brown. Um, so two years ago, if you were to have Antonio Brown and Julio Jones on the same team, you would have said that's the best one and two combo in the league, set it and forget it. I'm hoping that this week we bring a little bit of history back into it. I, I'm hoping that Tom Brady and Antonio Brown is going to be the stack to have in terms of that Tampa Bay game. It's a You're bit of a in. dark throw. You're all in on, it, on, the, on the AB. I'm going for AB it, man. Brain. And then my last one is uh, Deontay Johnson. So he was a bit of a disappointment last week, uh, but he left, I would say, over half of that game uh, with injury. He came back late and had a catch, but he was very limited. Now he goes against Dallas. This is the worst pass defense in the league. Uh, And I think Big Ben and him are going to get right. And I think he has another big game similar to when he did Deontay Johnson, similar to when he did nine for eight and two touchdowns. So he's only $5,000 this week. And he's more of a wide receiver two value. So I think there's um, a lot of value in him at $5,000. 
Yeah, dude, I was really close to taking Deontay Johnson. I like that 5,000 price range for him. Really solid. My guys I went with at wide receiver, I love Stefan Diggs against a Seattle passing defense. We talk about it, I feel like, every week. Seattle's passing defense is leaves a lot to be desired. I think Buffalo's going to be able to throw the ball against them. I like I like me some Stefan Diggs this week at priced at 7.4,000. I like Mike Williams for the Los Angeles Chargers, the number two wide receiver for LA Herbert really starting to come into his own throwing the he's able to throw the ball to more than one target and have more than one target and his passing attack be effective week in and week out. I'd like Mike Williams for a big game against a very porous Las Vegas passing at uh, defense. I, I got that Mike Williams, Justin Herbert stack there. I also like Marvin Jones jr. Against a very weak Minnesota passing defense this week. Uh, Marvin Jones Jr. priced out at 5.1,000. Just kind of barely edged out Deontay for me here. Uh, I could have won with either. I ended up going with Marvin Jones Jr. because he's uh, strictly because Ke- uh, Kenny Galladay is out for the Detroit Lions. It looks like for the near future, Galladay will be out for the Lions. I like Marvin Jones both in real and daily fantasy this week against a very subpar Minnesota defense. Yeah, that's funny. So I'm also picking on that game and I'm doing a pivot there um, to a lower priced option because Kenny Galladay is out as well. So this leads us right into our tight end section. I'm going with TJ Hawkinson. So we're very thinking, very, um, very alike. I love your Stefan Diggs pick, by the way. He was originally in my lineup before I saw yours. And I was like, all right, everyone's going to get tired if we're saying the exact same <laughs> players' names. Um, but TJ Hawkinson, if you would just look at his game log, he's either had 60 yards or a touchdown in um, his past uh, four games, that is. So in three of the past four, he's got a touchdown and last week, seven for 65. So I really like him to capitalize on a, on a really good matchup. And then um, Kenny Galladay being out, there's going to be a void to fill um, in terms of targets on that offense. Definitely. Yeah, I like the Hawkinson pick. My tight end I end up going with is... Uh, Noah Fant for the Denver Broncos facing a very just, we already, I already mentioned terrible pass defense in the Atlanta Falcons this week. Um, Denver facing Atlanta in Atlanta in the dome. Drew Locke coming, <laughs> got really just had a miserable game in that snow, that snow game two weeks ago against Kansas city. And then had another cold one against uh, the chargers last week. Got to be thankful that he's playing in a dome for this one. I think they'll start to throw the ball a little bit better. I, th- I like Jerry Judy and I like Noah Fant and I like a little bit of uh, Tim Patrick in this one if he plays as well. Yeah, and Fant, um, I believe last week had seven catches. And so after the ankle injury, we we're seeing his. Yeah, I wanted to give him a week. Yeah, it makes I sense. wanted to give him a week to kind of settle in a little bit. And then now I'm kind of willing to put myself back on that Fant train. I, I think he's a top five tight end talent. Um, capable of having a big game. Yeah, he the his talent is definitely there. He he's athletic and uh, he, he prototypes very similar to Evan Ingram in terms of their abilities. These guys are really great pass catchers. The question for both of those guys: um, Can the quarterback get them the ball accurately and on time? So Drew Locke and Daniel Jones are going to be the uh, inhibiting factor there, and whether the the offenses scheme them in opportunities that give them big play abilities. Noah Fant and Evan Ingram this year have been largely targeted um, in the red zone, but around um, 
just around the line of scrimmage. They're not really throwing deep balls to either of these players. And both of these guys with their athletic profile need to have more deep shots taken to them. I'm hoping that part of the reason is that their health was a factor and not wanting to use either of these guys deep, specifically Noah Fant recently. I'm hoping they air it out a little bit and Fant can catch a couple deep balls. So I, he actually was in my original lineup as well. Again, I saw yours and was like, <laughs> I literally have the same lineup as Ben this week. I, I had Diggs, I had Herbert, I, I had Fant. I had, you know, it was just like, okay. We're thinking on the same page. I got, I got, I, mean, we got a pivot. I had Edmund. So yeah. it's like, this is ridiculous. But I, yeah, funny. I love Fant too. I mean, the smart, the smart listeners will be playing these guys. Yep. Cause I mean, clearly we are both on them and we like, we like, we like the value for some of these. So other tight end plays. I mean, if you really, really, if you're trying to get the most out of your tight end position, it's worth paying up for Travis Kelsey this week. Clearly just the tight end one in his own tier this week, um, priced at 7.2,000, which is almost 2000. It's, it's, uh, 1.46, sorry, 1.6 thousand more than the second priced player, Darren Waller. 1.4 Raiders. 1.4. Sorry. Um, Travis Kelsey at 7.2 thousand might be worth it. I mean, the guy's just the most consistent tight end week in and week out with Kittle out now. Play. I mean, it's just so clear. He's on a tier by himself. Yeah, easily other guys to kind of take a look at. If you need some dart throws, uh, Eric Ebron, I thought looked good last week against Baltimore facing a very much worse Dallas passing defense. I, I like Eric Ebron a little bit for Pittsburgh. Um, any other guys you're looking at possibly? I, I th- th- we're a little bit limited here in the tight end position. I think. Um, a guy who, who's come on recently that I liked at, at his price range uh, was Hayden Hurst. He's only 4,100. Yeah. And in a game, again, I had Julio Jones, so I didn't really want to double stack these guys. But Hayden Hurst has, has come on and played well recently. If you look at his game log, the past three, he has 54 yards, 68 yards, and 57 yards. And when you're a tight end that's consistently eclipsing 50 yards, that's a very solid floor to have. And then a lot of tight ends we know are, are very touchdown dependent. So if you give me the five point floor in draft Kings of those 50 yards, probably five catches. So it's another two or three points, eight point floor, add in the, the, a coin flip for a touchdown for Hurst. He, he's had a few on the year, I think three or four. So there's a good chance he gets in the end zone in this game. Uh, so he could end up being a really good value, maybe putting up 15 points at only 4,000. Yeah. I don't like, I don't dislike that one. I had my eye on Hurst as well. I, I considered him as an option um, at tight end this week. Another, the only other guy I, I'm considering that kind of ballpark range um, in terms of pricing is Jimmy Graham for the Chicago bears. He's kind of been hit or miss this season. Uh, so the floor is definitely low. It's risky picking a guy like that, but he, he is a good candidate for a, a touchdown this week against the Tennessee Titans. Titans possibly have one of the worst passing defenses, if not the, worst passing defenses in the league. So uh, Jimmy Graham should catch some, catch some balls this week. Chicago. I mean, I know Foles isn't the best, but they're going to be able to throw the ball this week against Tennessee. So yeah. And in, in that same game, if you're looking for like a long shot uh, flex play, I really like Mooney. He, he came up big last game with the deep catch for a mm-hmm. touchdown. Well, and he, 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 yeah, he could point. break the uh, ceiling off in a game and he's only like 3,900. So he, he's a guy, if you really are really, um, looking to spend up at other positions, say at quarterback, if you're paying up for Russell Wilson in, in your flex, you need to go or Kelsey, for or a tight, end. tight end and you need to pay down at your flex position. Mooney might be a good start for you. I like that one too. He, he's a decent flyer. All right, let's move into our flex plays. Um, let me, let me just start off here. Cause I know I already mentioned him is at running back. I like the value that Jordan Howard has this week in daily fantasy priced at just $4,000. 
basically the bargain basement for any kind of player. Like if you, any sort of flex player you see priced out of 4,000 is almost unplayable most of the times. And Jordan Howard this week at 4,000, he's going to be a starting running back against a, an Arizona defense that has not been that great against the run this year. They've been average, right. I would say, to below average against, against the run. against the pass with Buda Baker and Patrick Peterson. Yes. They're not known for their uh, defensive line. Yes. And so Chandler Jones Miami, is still out, right? That, yeah. That's the idea. Yeah, he's still out. Um, and he's out for the season. So Miami is going to have to run the ball. They have a rookie quarterback. They can't let him throw the ball 60 times. And so Jordan Howard's going to have a role in this one. And when he, Jordan Howard plays, he's generally decent. I know you said he's been ineffective this year and he has been, he's got just, I think like what, less than 10 carries on like three or four touchdowns. He's averaging like a so, yard per carry. It's, it was pretty yeah, ugly, but they, it, that's a factor of where he was used. So in a game where we expect him exactly. to get more first and second down work in, in open field, 20, exactly. 30 yard line, as opposed to just goal line, he's going to be more effective in this game for sure. Yeah. And honestly, I was a little bit high on Jordan Howard coming into this season. I, I was basing my, my thought on that with Matthew Barry. Um, I heard a recommendation from him that I, I hopped right on was Jordan Howard when he plays, he's, he's nobody wants him on their fantasy roster, but he's one of those guys that just is consistent. And he had been in his career until this year. I mean, he hasn't really been playing a lot this year, had the touchdowns, like we said early on, but throughout his career, Jordan Howard was pretty successful in Philadelphia and Chicago. And he's always been just a pesky guy that has been part of a lot of backfield shares and seems to always have a good role and, and punch, punch in uh, goal line touchdowns and, and he's been effective throughout his career. And I think that he's a more than capable running back here from Miami and Miami's going to have to give the ball to somebody. And uh, for $4,000, that's so cheap. Like I'm willing to throw Jordan Howard in my flex. Yeah. With a guy who's probably going to get about 15 touches. It's not a bad option. Yeah. Uh, in my flex, I'm actually going with Antonio Gibson. So um, he's 5,800 okay. going against the giants. And I really like him here at 5,800 after what he just did to Dallas. Uh, Ron Rivera is clearly showing more courage and giving him a full workload now that we're halfway through the season. We saw JD McKissick and Peyton Barber get phased out a bit more and Antonio Gibson handle more of the workload. And, and this is very typical with rookie running backs. Um, so a lot of these guys like Gibson and Swift are going to take more of the workload as we move forward. So that's why I like him in this game against a bad Giants defense. Um, and then one the guy I wanted to talk about in the same matchup is Wayne Gallman. I think Gallman's a decent option. He can catch the ball decently well. Um, and we've seen him get a couple touchdowns the past couple of weeks as Devontae Freeman's been dealing with injury. He should be out again. He's not an awesome option, but if you're looking for a really cheap pivot, he's there as well. Agreed. Some other options here I had noted for flex plays. Uh, I had some wide receivers noted here. Um, I, I don't hate. Deion, I mean, <laughs> uh, let's start with some of the high end guys. I mean, uh, DeAndre Hopkins is a stud at 8.2 thousand. You mentioned Julio, 7.2 thousand. Keenan Allen finally priced like he should be, 7,000. Keenan Allen's a wide receiver one going in uh, to each week now with Justin Herbert throwing him the football. You mentioned Tyler Lockett priced at just 6.8 thousand. That's a great value for Tyler Lockett. Um, could be a, a, a good value against uh, Buffalo, who's not. He's been pretty banged up on on the defense side of the football, so Seattle will be throwing the ball against them. Will Fuller against a uh, terrible Jacksonville defense at six point eight thousand. I don't dislike that one. Fuller's got like nearly Adam. a touchdown in every game. It's it's crazy. Yeah, he's been a stud. Line. He he is. Yeah. He has been the number one in Houston in in a game against Jacksonville. I love Will Fuller this week. You, you're doing a great job bringing him up. 
Yeah, I like Fuller. I like Thielen um, against Detroit. They're, I think this is going to be a high-scoring game, Minnesota and Detroit. 6.7 thousand for Thielen. I like McLaurin against the Giants, 6.5 six thousand. Um, in that same Detroit game for Minnesota, I like Justin Jefferson, Thielen's running mate at 6.1 thousand. If you could snag one of those guys, you, you, you won't be going wrong there. I like Chase Claypool against Dallas at 5.7 thousand. I think he has a chance for a big play um, and kind of return to form that we saw in those first two breakout games he had for Pittsburgh. One guy that I really think is a good bargain play. Um, well, he's, he's not priced out the best bargain, but it's 5.4 thousand. Cole Beasley against Seattle. I think he could be a good play for the same reasons that I had Stefan Diggs as my wide receiver one this week. I think Cole Beasley is in store for a good game against a very subpar Seattle pass defense. It'll be volume like there my, for sure. Yeah. And as an, as a fancy owner who lost to Cole Beasley a couple of weeks ago, because he had like nine or 10 catches for almost a hundred yards, the guys in a, in a PPR, a half PPR league, Cole Beasley is very valuable and has been valuable this season. So don't uh, don't just look at the name Cole Beasley and think, oh, yeah, I'm not going to throw him into my lineup. There's value there, five point four thousand, so he could be good. Marvin Jones Jr. We already mentioned him, and then I also like Mike Williams, like I mentioned as well. So and and Deontay Johnson, you mentioned at five thousand. Those were the guys that I had noted in, in the wide receiver spot that I had my eyes on this week. Yeah, not a lot of whole guys um, below that forty five hundred dollar threshold yeah, that we're we'd not like that to many. see. Yeah, um, there were not that many dart throws. I think that the lowest I was willing to go was Jordan Howard at four thousand, and then maybe like Justin Jackson at four point nine thousand. Yeah, so I guess our long shots would be Mooney and Jordan Howard. Yeah, being those guys I under forty five hundred. I like that. And then at defense, I threw in the Texans against Jacksonville. You had me at rookie quarterback. I already said. I mean, Houston's going to have a field day against Jacksonville. I think Jacksonville is one of the worst three or four teams in the league. So I don't, I don't, I don't know how they score a lot of points with such a limited offense, limited offensive weapons. And um, I don't know. I, 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 for the reason, the reason why I picked James Robinson, my daily is because I think Houston's defense is not very good. But while that being said, I think they're going to turn the ball over. So Jacksonville is going to turn the ball over um, with the rookie QB. They always do. So. Um, Give me Houston's defense price at 3,100. Yeah, I'm going with the Giants here. So it's funny. We talked about how the Giants defense was bad and how we like Terry McLaurin and Antonio Gibson. Um, along the same lines, the Giants defense does play hard. The reason why they're not always great is because Daniel Jones puts them in a lot of tough positions and they give up points that way. Um, this game, though, they play Washington. That means they play Kyle Allen. If there's a quarterback that likes to throw interceptions just as much as Daniel Jones, the it's flipper. Kyle Allen. So this is a game where I think the Giants defense are actually playable and coming in only at 2,700. That's not a bad option. If we look at some defenses around the same range, the Dolphins are 2,800, but they go against Arizona. So I don't really want to play against Kyler Murray. The Broncos go against Atlanta and that whole gang of playmakers. So there's a lot of points that could happen in that game. Then you have the the Raiders at 2,600 who are going against Las Vegas or, or not Las Vegas are going against the Los Angeles Chargers and Justin Herbert. So that team can put up points. So if I'm looking yeah. in that range of teams, I really like the giants. If I'm spending down one other team to, yeah. be, to take note of is the Vikings against Detroit. The Vikings could be a good play. If Matthew Stafford doesn't play due to COVID restrictions in this game, he had some issues. He was a high contact player with another guy who tested positive. So he's in the protocol. There's a chance he plays monitor that situation. The Vikings at 2,400 could be a good option if Kenny Galladay and Matthew Stafford are both out. 
Good point. Yeah. That's, that's one thing to note for like guys setting their daily lineups, like being able to set your daily lineup Sunday morning is important sometimes because like you could find value. Like, like you said, the Vikings are facing a Matthew Stafford list and Kenny Galladay list. Um, Lions defense. I mean, Lions offense, like that's a, that's a great matchup for the Vikings defense at 2,400. That's like the best value you could find this week. Um, and like you were mentioning, I mean, there's not that much value in, in the middle to lower tiers in defenses this week. Um, if you, if you want any sort of a decent defense, you got to pay up. Are you paying up so, this week, Ben? And if you are, who, who would you go with? Um, well, now that you bring it up, I mean, obviously the Steelers against Dallas is easily the best matchup, but they're priced out at 4,900. That's pretty pricey for any defense. Um, I do, I do like, um, really uh, I'm looking at it now. I don't, I'm not willing to pay up for the Patriots against the Jets because the Pats defense has been pretty, pretty subpar this year. Um, honestly, I, I think our picks are good. I think Houston and I think um, the Cardinals against Miami is decent. And I think the Giants against Washington is good. I think those are the ones that I'd be looking at. Yeah. Yeah. I tend to agree that 4,900s, um, a thousand one hundred dollars higher than the Patriots. So, I, I, if I were to spend up, I'd much rather take the Patriots and save a grand compared to the Steelers against Dallas because both those um, both those opponents well, look, are equally horrible. I mean, but I don't Jets, I don't want to spend up on defense if I don't have uh, to because like yeah. I said, there aren't a lot of values below well, forty five hundred in the defense. positional players as well. So that kind of means you need to find somewhere to save money. And in that case, Dallas, I think this week it's on defense. Pittsburgh's defense is honestly is. One that I actually would consider because look, they might be facing a Dallas offense that has, like we said, what was the guy's name? Gilbert Garrett or whatever his name is at quarterback. And then knows Ezekiel Elliott. Like, come on, like that, the, the Cowboys might score zero points on, on Sunday. So that's a possibility. And so if that's the case, if, if Ezekiel Elliott doesn't play that, I, I consider the Steelers and try to figure out if I could budget it, but other than that, yeah, I'm not I'm not spending up for a defense this week. I, I think these middle tier defenses are all going to be scoring similar points. It's just all about finding finding value and finding the right matchup. And I think that we chose a decent a couple of decent ones with the Texans facing Jacksonville and the Giants facing Washington. All right, that's going to wrap it up for our daily. Thanks, buddy. I appreciate you talking about that, uh, talking that with me. Yeah, dude. I, I, another week, and I think we're we're really hitting the nail on the head. We're midseason stride. Um, right now, I haven't gone under 130 points since week two. Uh, two weeks ago, you, you put up a season high of 190 points in DFS. We're hitting right about 70% of the time with our lineups. We're cashing um, week in and week out. One of us is hitting and we're doing a great job. So make sure you get these guys in your lineups. Um, a lot, oftentimes the top lineups have a majority of our players in there. So make sure, you know, you're checking our guys out. You're looking, um, you're, you're hitting us up on Instagram. If you have questions or, or Twitter or Facebook, we're going to be responding to you guys tomorrow, tonight. Um, we're there for you. And, and, you know, Ben, thank you again for having me on, man. It's always a great time. Definitely. All right, Connor, remember to follow all things analysis on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, Subscribe on the website, allthingsanalysis.com. Check us out on LinkedIn even. Also, follow Vicious Talk with Benny P on Spotify, SoundCloud, uh, Apple Podcasts. What am I missing? Google, Google Podcasts. Podcasts. Got that one up. 
Yeah, Google Podcasts we're on as well. Um, also, like you said, when you follow us on Instagram, feel free to reach out to Connor and I on our DMs. We're happy to help out with any fancy advice we can. Week in and week out, we're happy to help our listeners and our followers out as best we can. We've been doing pretty well and uh, a decent amount of our and our handicapping this year, buddy. Yeah, fantastic, man. I, my wallet's happy, you know. <laughs> I'm glad your wallet's happy, Connor. <laughs> Let's help these listeners. Let's help our listeners out. All right. Okay, buddy. That's going to wrap it up here for episode. I believe this is 46 of Vicious Talk with Benny P. Connor, we're in store for a great week nine of NFL football, buddy. Thanks for coming on again. Good night.